Good evening and welcome to Pellow Talk. I'm Dave Pellow and tonight I'm joined by Nathan Campbell. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks, Dave. Great to be here. So Nathan is uh, somebody who, I guess, for the sake of being efficient, um, but he's obviously much more complex than this. You're a never-Trumper and you want more never-Trumpers in Australia. Well, the, it's, a, it's a moot point being a never-Trumper in Australia because we don't have Trump in Australia. But if I was an American, I think I'd land... Uh, conservative, but really worried about the direction that Trump has taken conservative politics. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a talk more about that um, coming up uh, through this next time. Uh, Nathan's prolific in his criticism of, of some of the shows like me uh, and, and the way that uh, we prosecute an argument for a better society. Um, but I'll let him articulate those, those um, thoughts himself. Uh, but look, one thing we never want to be accused of is being an echo chamber. Actually, I don't care if you accuse me of it. Um, I, I think one of the one of the criticisms of the not Q and A sh show that I host on Thursday night is that we're just the same, just on the other side. We we don't get any really great room for uh, for leftist thinking. And the reason I re actually reject that criticism is because. The leftist narrative is so saturated in our media. We don't need a person in a chair right here to be telling us uh, what Penny Wong thinks or Magda Shabansky or, or any Kevin Rudd. Um, we, we know without a doubt. Uh, and what isn't given enough of an air, in my mind, is the, is the counter and, and the answer to those narratives and, and the dispelling of the misrepresentations. Uh, so... Uh, the acoustic treatment in the echo chamber is not another echo chamber. Um, it, it has a function and, and that's what we want to do. However, that long preamble aside, um, what I readily embrace doing uh, whenever the opportunity ar arises is having a sincere critic to uh, jump in and, and have a conversation because something that really takes the heat out of it is taking the keyboard out of it. Um, and just being able to um, talk to each other face-to-face. -face. Um, and I was thinking before uh, tonight, you know, being face-to-face -face is good even though we may never see eye-to-eye. -eye. Very nice. You like I that? I see you've done there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's very good. So um, highlight, I guess, recap. For those people, actually, before we do that, let's yep. introduce you sure. properly. Um, uh, after you introduce, in case I forget what I want to do, I just say, then I want you to actually start talking about your criticisms. Yeah, um, absolutely. Get you to represent what you typically say and criticise um, and and um, and people can go and look at that for themselves. But um, your blog is St Eutychus. St Eutychus, that's right. So that's ST. I think there's a, a graphic on the screen, ST-Eutychus. I wouldn't describe myself primarily as a blogger, though. That has been a hobby and a sideline gig that I earn no money for. In fact, I pay but you've money. You've been doing it for 15 years. But I've been doing it 15 years. years. So it's, wow. it's a way of processing my thoughts. And along the way, some people read some things. But if you go there, you'll find that the name has become ironic. So 
when I was younger, like 15 years ago, maybe a bit, a bit less, I was reading through Acts and just thought how funny it was that this guy Eutychus fell asleep during the Apostle Paul's preaching, probably the second most famous preacher ever. I mean, Moses, Paul, coming yep. second to Jesus. Uh, he falls asleep during a long talk, admittedly a long talk from Paul, and uh, he's famous now and will be forever as the guy Paul raised from the dead because he couldn't stay awake in a sermon. And I just thought <laughs> if I was going to have a church, that would be a great name for a church. He fell out of a window. He fell out of a window, that's right, fell out of a window and died, and Paul raises him from the dead. And uh, I thought that would be a really funny name for a church. You see all these churches named after these, named after the, the disciples, the kind of top-level Saints Peter, and then, yeah, St. Peter's and Andrews. If you're a Presbyterian, there's a lot of St. Andrews. And so I am right. a Presbyterian pastor now. But, uh, yeah, I just thought what a what a great story to be remembered for forever. What a great name for a website. And at first it was all about not being boring. And I was working in public relations at the time and thinking about how the church, I, I thought, needed better PR skills. And so a lot of my early work was kind of trying to bring my professional life into thinking about communication about Christianity and about uh, the intersection of culture and, and Christianity, and that's still been my, I guess, my area of interest that I explore there. Uh, over time, I've been a, become a bit more suspicious about the tools of the corporate world and how they work with the church and how they might sometimes undermine what we're trying to do, and this might be part of where we get to for, mm. for in terms of the tools that we use for our, our politics. Uh, so I started that, that site. I started writing. Uh, it was meant to be quite entertaining and and fast-paced but then over time I got more and more convinced that I think this is something we might share people need to think deeper than just the three sentence slogan or the the three word slogan right. and so my posts got longer and longer mm. to the point where sometimes if you were to sit down and read one you might fall asleep <laughs> and fall out a window just and don't die sit in but, a window while yeah, don't sit near a window because I can't raise you from the dead particularly <laughs> not through the internet so uh, that's been that kind of sideline but it's also just uh, a way of getting things out of my head and onto something else so I can focus on what's in front of me. And so I am, as I said, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church, uh, a new church plant, having been part of a campus of a larger Presbyterian church. And I'm a dad of three kids and a husband of one wife. And so there's a lot that I pay attention to more than this stuff. And so yeah. I think one of the things that's really helpful with this kind of conversation is remembering the humanity of the person. And that's part of the face-to-face, -face, mm. if not eye-to-eye -eye thing. I think uh, that's been something that I... I I'm really worried about what the social media uh, bubble and the algorithm and the way that it drives you into to tribes so can do for us. Yeah. And uh, I know that at times my writing slips into being polemical and, and I've got to kind of pull back and reassess and apologise. But a part of our story is that uh, after something I wrote last week, we got together for a coffee and now here we are face-to-face yeah. again. And so uh, I'm not sure I've fully answered who I am but in no, terms of good, in terms of the detail. in terms of the areas that I'm I'm kind of digging into in my my writing and my thinking have you always been um, a queenslander no i have not always been a queenslander i was born in sydney and i grew up did most of my growing up on the north coast of new south wales and you I, drive like a new south Ocean? <laughs> i don't know what that means really well and uh, uh, <laughs> aggressively <laughs> perhaps perhaps at times uh, Look, I, I, I learned to drive in Sydney. Yeah. I was born in Queensland, but I learned to drive in Sydney. So I think I, I drive better than the people I see taking half an hour to get from the beginning of the on-ramp to the end of the I did. I did learn to drive in Queensland, and I do <laughs> wish we were better at merging in Queensland. But I, So I finished high school and did university up here, uh, did year 11 and 12 in Queensland. But okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Right. That, well, I moved kind of to Queensland book. probably a little. Well, uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, Enough about the, the boring biographical details. I think the... 
the way my writing has kind of developed around the question of politics is I have at, at times in our denomination um, been involved in different committees that have been thinking about uh, politics and how we engage as, as Christians and uh, I was interested in that idea through through Bible college and particularly my early, while I was working in public relations and writing, I was quite critical of the ACL, that's the Australian Christian Lobby, I assume everybody knows this. I was particularly critical at that point because they never spoke about Jesus in their politics and that was, to the best of my understanding, that was a strategy in terms of engaging the secular world with secular arguments and I just thought it wasn't being upfront okay. with why we think what we think sure. and that it ended up creating a situation where we might d defend something and lose and then ask for people to understand our religious convictions being different, but we'd never spoken about those religious convictions. So it can end up reinforcing. Before we get into detail, yeah. I want to encourage everybody, um, invite a friend, share it on your Facebook, your Twitter, uh, your whatever, and uh, encourage people to, to tune in. Um, we are streaming live to a couple of Facebook pages and a couple of YouTube channels. Um, obviously share the Facebook page if you're watching on Facebook um, and uh, share the YouTube um, live stream wherever you are. Uh, pop a note in the comments and tell us where you're watching from. Uh, we see M9 is watching from the UK and uh, loving the shows. Welcome M9. What does that mean? M colon nine colon? Is that, a, uh, is that meant to be a smiley in typo? Uh, I love it when people use their full names. Um, I hope that's not on your birth certificate. But, um, Elon Musk's <coughs> nephew or something. <laughs> <laughs> what we uh, want to do tonight is have a conversation which includes people who aren't Christians, even though we're both Christians, and we're actually going to be talking about, uh, among other things, how Christians can disagree and talk about politics in church because what we don't want to see is brouhaha's in the middle of a congregation because that's a pastor's worst nightmare and a great reason to stay away from anything that might cause it. Uh, and I think that's a big reason of why so many churches are silent on the critical issues uh, that are being discussed in the public square. Uh, and that's unfortunate, especially if the Bible speaks specifically to some of those issues uh, because people need to hear it. God's got something to say about it. Uh, and the pulpit shouldn't be silent on it. Um, but it's up to us as the people in the pews to be mature enough to be able to have a conversation where we might not see eye to eye at the end of the conversation, but we can still walk in love and, and unity uh, with each other. Now, that's probably some great lessons to be learned for the whole of Australia. Um, so don't tune out if we start talking about church uh, and, and so forth. Um, because one of the things that is true is that it's a recent phenomenon that Australia wasn't a significantly dominantly Christian culture. And, and so that's very uh, much built into our constitution, the fabric of our society. Uh, I think it was up until the 50s or 60s, something like 90% of Australians were church going. Yeah, I, I think the data there is really fascinating in terms of the census data and the kind of marking of no religion in the census. Mm. Uh, I think there's probably a few different stories and cultural factors going on in Australia's history. So there is a phenomenon where once convicts were able to not go to church, church attendance massively declined very quickly. And so there's an establishment institutional Christianity in Australia that's there in the Lord's Prayer in Parliament. Mm. Um, but I, I do, yeah, I, I do wonder how much we can speak of 
beyond the establishment stuff, always being uh, people whose hearts have been changed by the spirit. But yeah, I, I take your point that Australia has, yeah. for a long time, the the laws and the parliament have assumed the truths of Christianity and yeah. seeking to, to write legislation. Yeah, so even if not religiously attending, there's a, a cultural uh, commonality there uh, at the very least. Um, mm. So, uh, yeah, now um, uh, overt Christianity in, in political commentary. Mm. Um yeah, I'm not. Um, let, let's leave that to to one side. It's probably a little bit too indulgent uh, for us. I, I want to get onto, I guess, the the question of the culture war. Yeah, sure. uh, whether there is one or not. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about never trumping. Yeah. Um, what it, it, hypothetically, if Trump was an option here in Australia, or if you were in America. Um, I guess let, let's start with the big question. The bottom line is, would you have voted for Biden over Trump? No. <laughs> Do you want some more information on that? I, yeah. I think, so I think legitimately I think voting third party is an option to say to both parties neither of these candidates is suitable. And I think our, that's not a wasting of our vote, uh, assuming the, the scenario. Mm. Uh, that's a way of expressing a desire for change in the kinds of people that parties put forward to, to lead us. And so I think... Uh, I think as someone from a conservative, evangelical and reformed Christian tradition, uh, I think our forebearers, our forebears who are still alive, uh, were right when they said character is destiny in a sense when it comes to political leadership and it's absolutely what you should look for in a leader. And I think uh, Trump and Biden both in various ways fail the character test that we mm. as Christians would hope to see modelled for, for people in order to build a, a civil society. Uh, so I, I think I legitimately, in good faith, I would not have abstained. I would have found a third party candidate who I thought represented my views and I would have used that as a way of protesting against the options on the table. That, that's not to say I'd never vote Democrat or Labor given particular issues or leaders or, or Conservative. It's more uh, I do think you can repudiate both options put forward because I think at some point when you choose the lesser of two evils, you're still choosing evil at some point, and there are ways to imagine other other possible I'd, I'd be ways of participating in democracy. I would debate the strategy with you, but I think what I have to respect is that what you're advocating is in itself nothing actually immoral. I, I, and, and I guess this is the bottom line of a debate between people who want to stay in, in a spirit of friendship and, and unity mm. um, is that I have to give you permission to disagree within the margins. Um, and it's very kind of you. Well, I <laughs> I give you permission to disagree. Well, it's I don't, I don't mean to claim any you know special character points out of it. What I mean is that um, is that this is a posture that we have to if we're going to stay a civilization and not become an anarchy, uh, not become a, a screaming match from opposite sides of a ditch. That we have to. Um, say, you know what, as long as you're not advocating anything grossly immoral, uh, grossly contravening of Scripture, if there's no line that you've actually crossed, I just think you're being unwise and that's the worst of mm. it, then um, then who am I to tell you anything worse about yourself? Uh, and, and so that's what I mean. I have to give you permission. It's not like you needed my permission. <laughs> I understand. That was, a, that was just a fun dig. It's your show. I mean, you do have to, you could mute me at any time, just signal and down goes the that's mic. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
But um, I guess what I'm then looking for is that permission back. So if yeah. I say, look, or, or the, the Trump voters, the Trump fans, say they stop short of idolising him but say, look, Biden has to be stopped uh, because of the wickedness of that agenda. Mm. Um, and if you want to take the personalities out of it and just debate the strategy sans emotion, then, then what I would be saying is if you do have the lesser of two evils and one is completely unacceptable while one is completely unpalatable, um, I, I think the responsible thing, I think the responsible thing to do is block unacceptable and suffer unpalatable, especially because our vote is not the only voice we have. Well, I was just going to say that's such a binary mm. choice, isn't it, to say that uh, particularly in the states where there's not compulsory voting. Well, so if it, if it was choose... binary, I think that wouldn't be a hard decision, but it's actually easier because it's not binary, and, and that is I can say vote is the least bad man for... Uh, Trump is the least bad man for the job, but um, I can still criticise him when he's wrong. And I do with Scott Morrison. When you're right, you're right. When you're wrong, you're wrong. But uh, I can say, look, Trump, you shouldn't use Twitter like it's a mallet. You, uh, you know, it's good that you're bypassing mainstream media. It's bad that you're mean. Like, let, let's be a little bit more statement. Well, it's also like what that. he reveals. So what he reveals as he tweets is a, a character that's not just mean, but it seemed to me as an observer, and I'm not a... I'm not qualified to make diagnoses, but it seemed that there was a narcissism in his tweets that I thought was damaging to the public discourse and to the idea of character and leaders being exemplary. And so uh, there was also a crassness to his approach that I think cheapens and dehumanises us all as we accept it. And so, and and I would say, like, I, I'm all for criticism of the mainstream media. I don't think you can hold Trump up as a truth teller. So I think he played the same game that his opponents were playing and so it was reduced reduced us all to a particular level of mm. politics that doesn't cultivate the kind of character that we need in our uh, polis, in our people, to, to disagree well together and to live together pursuing the good together. And so by turning the other into someone you are at war with and not someone you're a neighbour with who you might seek common ground with in order to have the conversations you need to have about important moral issues. He robbed us, I think, of the ability to have that kind of conversation. I don't th I think, sorry. might be giving him too much Well, let me, let me just say too, when I say us, when I say us too, Australia is not the US. So I, I don't think, I don't think we have the same issues because I think we're much more centrist in our politics, but, partly because of compulsory voting. But I, I think to give him credit for polarising the politic of Oh, it was polarised already. Would, was, be, would be too much. Yeah, yeah, so no, so it's not that he, he's a symptom, not a cause. So, and I, I think what, it, and I wouldn't be the first person to make the observation that um, his rhetoric was part of what was attractive about him because those people who felt beleaguered by the media for the previous 10 years loved someone who finally stood up and and shouted them shouted them down yeah at the same time his rhetoric was quite repellent to the people who had lived through that and wanted a nobler uh, a, a purer conservatism mm. perhaps or, or a, a moral leader who had the class and grace of obama it was the definition the, the, of polar the, the policies that you might hope as a christian to see uh, around the unborn and mm. around uh 
a bunch of other issues where I, 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 don't, I don't think either Trump or Biden are, are great on the policy front on a bunch of areas. I yeah. think there's a, uh, a, a, the kingdom of God looks quite different to the kingdom of America in a bunch of, bunch of ways. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, uh, you know, YouTube official has commented here, um, and I don't think he's actually a YouTube official. <laughs> um, are we still discussing Trump's mean tweets and the left is so loving and gracious? Sorry, I'm out. I roll emoji. Um, I, I guess there is that, that sense of hypocrisy from the commentators who, who bemoan Trump's character and aren't as equally um, critical of, of the, the common tone of conversation, uh, which is equally well manifest in, in things like cancel culture. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm not here to defend the secular left. I'm not here to defend the secular right either. Um, I'm not here to say Trump was terrible. The left, the political left in America is is great and heroic. I, I've got a lot more sympathy for a Mitt Romney or a John McCain than for uh, people on the left who indulge in various forms of cancel culture. I, I, I'm not here to say they've got it right, Trump's got it wrong, but I'm worried about the way the church in particular has wedded itself to a particular form of politics embodied by Trump in America and the possibility that that might seep into Australia as a political strategy let's for Christians. Let's explore that choice great. of words. Yeah. The church has wedded itself to um, something. What, what does that look like to you? What are you seeing that you diagnose as the church wedding itself well, to? Well, like we're, we're talking about America at this point and we might move to Australia massively, in a little while. But massively influential here. It's not. Yeah, it's oh, not, absolutely. I'm not dismissing, not not dismissing influence. We're, we're kind of downstream culturally from them. We, we yeah. consume the same media. Uh, Look, I think things like the church's um, rush to say that character matters with Clinton and rush to say character doesn't matter with Trump because he was giving us promises for things that we wanted, particularly around Supreme Court judges and the potential of change to abortion laws, uh, which I, I don't know have eventuated the way that people might have hoped in terms of uh, there's, no, there's been no repeal of Roe vs Wade uh, or, or the way that we were quick to justify uh, him on the basis of his relationships with particular Christian leaders who have since been shown to be uh, also questionable in a bunch of ways. So you've got Jerry Farwell at Liberty. Um, there, there is a kind of a character drought in our approach. I don't think just to politics. I think Christians have been suckered into the forms and ways of the world because we think that's the way to achieve particular results because we've made results the thing that drives mm. us rather than character, rather than uh, particularly Christ-like character and the fruit of the Spirit. I, I think you can overplay character um, because we're not electing pastors. We're electing policies and, and people to implement them. And, and on a very real level, it is very practical. Well, I, I'd say as Christians, we're not in the business of electing anyone, though we might get a chance to do that in a democracy. We're ambassadors for the kingdom of Heaven, where yeah, people it, who but it is in our lives are meant to carry around the life of Jesus. But it is it is our conduct as citizens and, and voters and advocates for better policies that, oh. that we're talking. So obviously, as Christians, we want to advocate uh, good character. Uh, we want to advocate, uh, you know, marital faithfulness, um, respect for women, um, equality and dignity of all yeah. men. Um, sanctity of life. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so I'd, a, I'd, clean, a clean vocabulary. Yeah. 
I can't ask you to put yourself in the shoes of these people, but I, I guess I can ask you to imagine what changed between the Southern Baptist Convention that said character is everything when it comes to leadership and Southern Baptist Convention around Trump, which essentially repudiated that position. So at one point, Christians were prepared to say character is everything. I, we I wanted a leader. No, no, so I, I'm not, you're not a Southern Baptist. But, yeah. but what, what's the thinking there? Like what, what causes that shift? If, if I was going to um, say that once I had criticised Bill Clinton's character and then uh, I made uh, a exception for Donald Trump, I would say the character test failures were very different between the two men. One of them lied under oath in office and was incontrovertibly uh, proven wrong by a witness. He, you know, molested one of his staff while in office, whereas all of Donald Trump's moral sins... All the ones that were published... ...were before... Before his, we, we can't possibly know that all before his presidency. Well, but there, there are a lot from before his presidency. We can yes. restrict our comments to the ones we yeah. know about. Yeah. Uh, and so, if Donald Trump, uh, you know, abused his power and slept with one of his interns, I would say I am absolutely equally des- thinking, and then lied about it um, under oath. I would say absolutely he should be impeached and convicted and kicked out of office. Yeah. Uh, and I think. Most Christians would say the same, like, and because then let's bring on the next. I think the the way that would work is the vice president becomes the president, right? Um, so I don't think the average evangelical would have a problem with that if Donald Trump had done what Bill Clinton with, did. With Mike Pence becoming president, yeah. in particular, the the problem is that when you've got the Capitol insurrection, you've but got with, a crowd chanting "Hang with, Mike Pence." Just, so just just keep it. Yeah, on sorry. Topic. Without um, with, without you know, bringing in other hypotheticals yeah. and even without the hypothetical of who the vice president might be, yeah. just on principle alone, we, I think I can say without misrepresenting the average Christian that we, the average right of centre Christian, that we would have been happy if Trump had done what Bill Clinton did for Trump to have been successfully impeached and convicted, even though Bill Clinton was impeached but not successfully um, convicted. Um, and I don't think that Trump's character failures in office rose to that level of egregiousness. Yeah. What do you think? So I, I, I have trouble getting into the headspace of a, of someone who jumps to the supporting of Trump. Right. I, I, I can understand the. Well, this is he's the best the, option, and, I, and this, I, this is what this we're is, doing, right? This is kind of like the Proud Boys. I yeah. Don't, I don't care about no, no, their fate no. or their reputation. What I care about is the record. Yeah. So, so I'm curious, though. I'm, I'm asking because we're face-to-face and this yeah. is a chance to, to talk this through. Uh, what would he have had to have done to be beyond the pale as a, as a candidate? Uh, well, so yeah. is, it, is it just enough that he's endorsed by the Republicans and that's no, the lesser no, of no, two no. evils no, there's no and the policy there's, promises that come with it are good? Or is there's, it... there's no blank check. Um, certainly any criminal activity is beyond the pale. Um, and and again, even Bill Clinton sleeping with Monica wasn't beyond the pale, but lying about it was criminal activity. That was the bit that was convictable. So the the fact checker stuff, and I understand it comes from the the lying harlot media, the mainstream media. But the fact the fact checker <laughs> well stuff said. about Trump that suggests that he lied more than perhaps 
any other president on record in, in terms of keeping records. Uh, I don't. I don't. Do think you buy that he was dishonest, uh, habitually dishonest? Or? No, I don't buy that. Uh, okay. I, I look. I, I think there's, um, I, and I'm not saying he's of noble, noble character, pure as the driven snow, unable with nary a shred of deceit in him. But, um, but uh, I, I do think. Um, yeah, I, I think anybody that's accusing him of lies in the mainstream media is living in a glass house and should really put the stones down, uh, especially anybody in Washington. I mean, the, the professional misrepresenters and and uh, spinners of, of preferred uh, alternative facts, if you like. Uh, yeah, um, I, I can't think of... In fact, I can't think of anything serious that he lied about. And that's possibly because I just don't care enough to read the mainstream media. But what do yeah. you think were the top three porkies that he told? Oh, which are... I, I think it's so because I, I'm not convinced just by the mainstream media and the fact checkers. I just think habitually on Twitter he misrepresented anyone he spoke about to suit his particular political agenda. Like I think the truth became just a tool in his toolkit that he yeah. would employ. Or not there, there's, no, there's no excuse. End. For that, and I, I wish that all politicians would lift their game. I wish the mainstream media would lift their game. I wish the left would lift their game and stop re referring to abortion as healthcare. Uh, I mean, that's like that's like calling the guillotine a, a toenail clipper. Um, it, it's just you do a pretty it, bad job of your toes, or it's you know it, it's a gross, malicious deceit of reality, um, and and the fact that this kind of deception which goes beyond euphemisms into malicious deceit is just ubiquitous isn't a defense for donald trump um being you know what he is on mm. on, on twitter and, and so my concern again I, i'm not here to defend the republican party or or defend the democrats yep. i'm particularly interested in the church and how we participate in politics and what we choose to wed ourselves to but also the methods we choose to employ but them. That and so, right there. I know, I know. Yeah. Is it is it not possible? Well, to... I could say get into bed with, but that would be a bit promiscuous. <laughs> but, but yeah, but it's it's still it's still reading too much into the qualified support that well, we yeah. do give him because it's qualified support. It's not unconditional support. It's it's if at the end of the day, uh, uh, you know, we we need to choose the candidate. <laughs> And try and we can divorce ourselves from Trump at some point, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and and for the record, there were people that were on the Trump train long before me uh, in the primaries. I was very much like Dr. Michael Brown. Is just any candidate but Trump. Um, I had really respectable Christians calling me a Pharisee for not supporting him as per the prophecies. Mm. Uh, and I'm like, I just... That might be what I mean by wedded to Trump, though. And for some of those people, that would be fair. Yeah. Um, I still don't think they would say he can do no wrong. Um, I still think they... They would... might say he's the man we need, though, to fight but against the great what, evil of the, I, the leftists. I'm right with you. There are some people, and I'm not pretending the Christian right is pure as the driven stone. There are some people who just refuse to see reality. And this is part of why I do what I do is, guys, you can't be this stupid, this intellectually lazy, this willfully ignorant about politics. Um, that's how we got Kevin Rudd, because he 
said he was a Christian. He put this little badge on his shoulder and we all went, I don't identity politics and voted for the Christian like mindless robots without examining his policies, his positions, his convictions mm. and examining what he intended to do with his agenda and his platform. Uh, so uh, I've done an interview with Matt Prater who was went to head-to-head with... Um, uh, with and the subject of our interview I, I promoted it as is don't vote for a Christian um, tongue-in-cheek of course you can vote for a Christian but it's don't vote for someone just because they're a Christian we actually are not looking for a pastor for the nation we're looking for somebody qualified and competent who will represent us and their character is a secondary not unimportant but a secondary concern uh, I think it's the same as the the plumber. I don't care what he does on his weekends. When he comes to my house, I want him to do the job properly. Um, and if he does, I'm going to hire him. And if he doesn't, I'm going to fire him. And I don't care whether he's a Christian or an adulterer on the weekends. I want for him to have a, a good life and be better. Um, but if the nation is looking to the head of state president or prime minister yeah, I, I for their moral that, leadership. Well, I find this interesting because the flip, the, side, the flip side be. of the argument, though, is that the the Christian right justifies a lot of its political activity by saying it's really important that laws uphold morality. We really want the law of the land to promote a Christian moral framework because it's in line with truth. But there's an inconsistency when we say we want the laws to do that, but we don't want the character of the lawmaker to do that when they are mm. intrinsically connected. And we've made this disconnection. I well, I think, well, that's right. Connected. I, I think, I think, I think they're related. classically, so you say, I mean, you get, say, the Apostle Paul. Let me give you this. Yeah, go on. The quality of democracy will only be as good as the level of virtue of the citizenry, the demos. Yep. Um, and so that has to relate to the parliament as well. If there's a bunch of immoral pagans who just have zero, they're just absolute hedonists who live only for themselves and have no regard for their neighbour. So a whole parliament of Trumps. If the whole parliament was, that's so <laughs> cheeky. Oh, I'm just trying to let it go, but I can't. It's, it's so go on, go on. Cheap shot. But uh, true. Like, so... If, I, if I Trump didn't have pants no, I next don't think that's true. I don't think that's actually fair at all. I mean, there's there's plenty, plenty of documentations of of Trump's largesse and, and generosity, um, and free liberality with with the, the resources he has to help other people. So I don't think that's fair. Um, there's but, plenty of documentary evidence around, but, uh, accusations around sexual assault and corruption and all sorts of other things. So, so I, we're all a mixed bag of, I understand, you know. but to keep it on track, yeah. to your point, um, yes, the character of the people in Parliament matters, but I don't think it's intrinsically inseparable from the quality of legislation. I, uh, yeah. I, I, well, so, and you know what? Here's the thing is, is I know good Christian people of fine character who are doing a bad job in Parliament. Um, and and I think it comes down to us, the incentive they have of what it takes to keep their job. Um, and so we can incentivize bad people to do a good job. Uh, and we can also, um, by our absent participation and, and influence, can... can um, fail to help good people yeah so so we can encourage good people to do a good job and we can participate in mm. political parties yeah, and systems trump, and i think and trump was far better than he would have been 
he surprised me how good he was. I didn't have high hopes for his presidency. And I think that was a virtue of the people that surrounded him and and did, um, I think Mike he was Pence was a huge pretty job. good at getting rid of people who challenged him, though, as well. So yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of people off the bus and run over yeah, by the bus. Uh, certainly on, on staff, but, you know, I, as much, I think the evangelicals support around him helped him to be, and, and you could talk about what he didn't do for life, but he also did more than any other yeah, president and I, ever did. And I think I'm, I'm more interested in talking about what he did to the people who surrounded him. So to mm. the church, uh, the members of the church who aligned themselves, let's not use the word wed, but who aligned themselves with his approach, that profoundly damaged the witness of the church to the character of the kingdom. So if Jesus that talks point, a lot about the heart that and about point, our... well qualified is not without merit. Yeah. Um, and, and that is that, yes, we, we should have been mourning his tone um, while supporting his agenda, uh, his agenda of draining the swamp, for example. Now, the way he did that was certainly with a nuclear approach. Yeah, I, I tend to think, and this might just be me revealing my bias, I think he was the swamp and he used that as a way to get into power. I think he drained some people, but he really targeted the people of character in the Republican Party right. and, you know, did everything he could to destroy so anyone, who ran, anyone who ran against him in the primaries either had to totally bow the knee to him and say so you've got your Ted Cruz's or he just can't let it go. Yep. And so even John McCain, after he dies, Trump still goes after him. And, and you know, you've got your people of character in the Republican Party who... I, I know there's lots of know. examples you can hold up yep. um, there. So let me wrap up this section yep. before we move on to the culture war. Uh, and this may in itself take us five to ten minutes, but um, what do you think uh, about... And I want to talk now about the strategy where we disagree yep. and, and allow each other to disagree. You would have voted third party. I would have voted for Trump. Um, I think your vote, if you had one in the American election, <laughs> would have been recklessly irresponsible in that it ended up with the Hillary Clinton administration or, in this case, the Joe Biden administration. And and it is on the record right now how toxically disastrous that is already, just in, in mega light years, it it is that this guy is a rabid pro-abortionist. Um, do you not think that failing to stop him, even if the cost was electing Trump, was worth it? It's a really interesting question because it's a kind of hypothetical try to invent what would have happened. I, I think... Um, well, I think we're actually there. I don't think it's hypothetical. <laughs> this is true. Uh, it was either the most pro-life president ever or perhaps the most pro-abortion president ever already. Yeah, so I think the only way to guarantee that the status quo continues is to vote to continue the status quo. And so if... This is a reality in the American system. The, the two-party... Yeah. Yeah, but I think if you say to the Republican Party, we will not come to the party on a candidate like this, um, how else do you say that? Even though you know... Isn't that a bit... Well, I, I'll get back to the, I'll get to the second part of my answer in a moment because I think it's... Intellectually indulgent? Well, it's like, is it, but how do you, how do you bring... What you're saying is true. We're perpetuating the status quo, which is less than ideal. But now you've said the status quo, which is less than ideal, is worse than are, a Biden So there are a whole lot more people being voted for on an election day than the president. Mm. So it's possible to vote third party at the top of the ticket and vote Republican down the ticket or vote for the people of character yep. in your area uh, from either party if you want people who are 
wise and people of good character making decisions. And if you want to dial down the partisan rhetoric and bring people to the table, I think what I think what we both want to see modelled is people coming to the table in disagreement, not retreating to battle lines and holding up placards and never mm. listening to the other person. And so I think we've got to practice that in our approach to voting and we've got to practice that in our approach to politics, which, as you say, goes way beyond voting. So I think there's a, an American sociologist, a Christian, James Davison Hunter, who coined or, or borrowed the phrase the culture wars from, from the German, yeah. um, from Culture Kampf. That's um, our next topic. Yeah. So he talks about in his, uh, in his book, To Change the World, he talks about the politicisation of everything in the West, the way our imaginations have been so captivated by the idea that the way to bring change in the world is to get politicians to make decisions rather than to work in institutions that we can create ourselves without political leadership that work for that change and force. So if politics operates downstream from culture, we could create culture. We can, we can work to create institutions that make... Uh, abortion less viable and, sure. and a less likely and choice. We, we can do all sorts of things like that, and and to suggest that the w that our morality is down to this binary choice between two evils, when there's all this other stuff we could imagine to be doing, uh, building a better society I, in different I, ways. I don't think I just that's think a it fair ends up quite reductive though, because because we can do all of those things, but we still have to make a choice. But we only have to make a choice because people tell us we have to make a choice. If you can choose to vote third party, that's a choice. You could choose to not vote and to pay the penalty and say, I'm paying this. To not make it, it we, don't have, we don't only have to make a choice because other people tell us we have to make a choice. We have to make a choice because if we don't get in the conversation, we leave the conversation to, to less virtuous people to make those decisions yeah, so, in our absence. Absolutely. I think there are way better ways to get in the conversation than just a vote. You can join a party and be involved in the policy discussions. You can... Yeah, but again, you can, you're missing the fact that we still, if we don't vote, we leave it all to somebody else. Like, we, we have to be there and do all of those other things. You're absolutely right. Join the party. So the party, not because the party's good, but because the party needs to be better. A substantial amount of the history of the church and the history of the West, this wasn't even a question that we had to... Assess whether how, how you approach it. So I don't think I don't think we can make moral absolutes about you have to vote to to participate in society. I think there's, there's lots of other ways to do it. But I didn't say you have to vote to participate in society. What I'm talking about, and maybe this word, um, which is particularly Christian, you'll understand, is we have to steward the opportunity, and the the three choices are uh, very evil, lesser evil, or stay out of the decision altogether. Um, my assertion is staying out of the decision is not good stewardship of of that opportunity to vote. Um, I think it's wicked and lazy to use the words in the parable um, of of the good servants, the stewarding. Um, I think I made my point without yeah. saying it. So, so I think I wouldn't want to reduce. Which I'm always doing. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to reduce um, stewardship of a vote. Like I, I don't think I don't think voting third party is the same as burying your talents. To, to take the parallel of the talents, I think it is an investment in a different sort of kingdom, and I think that is exactly the nature of being Christians. It's to say the world wants to invest in the I, kingdoms of this world. Yeah, I, Our job is to invest in the kingdom of Jesus, and what that might require is for me to not mm. indulge in the lesser of two evils and having to choose between two evil choices when I can just choose I, to do good. Again, I. I I can't can't say that your choice is wicked. Um, just I, unwise. 
Yeah, I just. But I do think it is a bit like the Proverbs thing where you get the answer of fool according to his folly. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. Wisdom is in navigating that that tension where two things will come. I just, I can't reconcile. While I value the investment you're trying to make, and I think the outcome and the strategy is good, I think there has to be a negligence of the inevitable, immediate, significant amount of damage that that strategy. I think only if you walk away from the damage. So if you say, I'm washing my hands, so to not get your hands dirty is not the same as saying I'm washing my hands with the consequences. Mm. Um, There's a guy, Michael Walter, who wrote a paper called Dirty Hands, which is a political philosophy thing um, built on the suffering servant. And it was an argument from him for partisanship, so for compromise, for getting in and and doing the lesser of two evils. And I think absolutely that's a faithful way to do things. I'm not going to condemn someone for voting for Trump if they think it is the way to be faithful. But I'm just wanting to say there is another way of being faithful that if enough people did, might challenge the system rather than just perpetuating it. Jill England says, I agree with you there, Nathan. People are looking to politics to solve everything, but there are other ways of doing it. Thanks, Jill. I, I know, Jill. We did a subject together at, at Bible College a couple of years ago. A oh, did you? Subject. Nice. Thing. There we go. Okay. Hi, Jill. Declared bias doesn't count. <laughs> well, she probably agrees more with you than with me, though. So there we go. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a it's a do. Can I just encourage everyone? Um, make sure you keep the comments uh, civil and and sincere. We, or take them to Twitter. We don't want to be taking this down to the gutter because that's actually my main criticism. My main complaint is is people who just won't have a civil and sincere conversation and just go straight to insults. Um, and and I think that's actually the worst of the left. Um, and, and I hate that I can see it creeping into the right as well. Um, and we were talking about this privately. I, I think this all started maybe long before, but certainly by the time Saul Alinsky wrote Rules for Radicals, um, any pretense of, of civility was thrown out the window by the left. And and the the window for acceptable discourse, the the range of 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 rudeness that was allowed has has certainly drifted downward for the worst, and and right of centre folks are being dragged into it as well. Let's let's not go there. So however frustrated you are with me or with Nathan, um, just talk about facts, evidence, data, logic, and say I'm frustrated, but don't um, go any further than that. Um, now, I think there was something here before talking about you, which I thought we might let you um, clarify. Uh, okay, YouTuber's official says, in short, what you're saying is vote for the leftist because they are compassionate like Jesus. Is that a fair representation? Well, for starters, I didn't say vote for the leftist. In fact, I said... And the whole never Trump thing is I would align myself with the conservative side of politics, probably, depending on the candidates involved. Are you prepared uh, to answer the question how you normally vote in, let's say, the last 10 elections? <laughs> how old do you think I am? Oh, whatever. <laughs> oh, look, I'm, I'm, a swinging, state, state and federal. I'm a swinging voter, but I tend to hold conservative positions on issues informed by my faith. So I'm pro-life. Uh, I do want to see pro-life be not just about birth but about uh, the conditions around raising children and and social conditions that make that possible. I think I'm sympathetic to aspects of the left, particularly in seeing systemic problems. I think 
uh, part of our conservative nature and our Western nature is to see problems as individualized. And I think that comes from a Reformation heritage and a bit from the Renaissance. But I think uh, I think there's truth in that. So I am Reformed. I'm a Presbyterian. We do believe in individual sin and in individual salvation and that you're not just saved by being part of the church, but to be saved is to become part of the church. So there is a systemic nature to life as well. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I think the left typically see systemic issues in ways that we are blind to because of our bias. And so I want to listen to them. I want to have people at the table with diverse views and be listening to one another. But I wouldn't say that that makes so me a vote, leftist. Would you vote for the left 20 to 30% of the time or 60 to 70% of the oh, time? It depends on the election. It depends on the issues. It depends on if it's state or federal and the, the different issues that the state government's responsible for and the federal government is responsible for. And it depends on what's being discussed in that election cycle. So Michael Donnelly wants to know if you would have supported Cory Bernardi if you had a chance to vote for him. No. No? No. What didn't you like about him? Uh, I think he is uh, an emblem of the very culture wars that I think we're going to talk about. Let's talk about that now. (laughs) So um, I I guess the the classic question is, and you'll have a short answer and then explain why, uh, do you think there is a culture war? Yes. Do I think there should be, though, is a different question. Okay. So, uh, and I definitely think as a Christian there's a spiritual war and, and that we're engaged in that whether we like it or not and it does play out in in the way the world works. So you think there is a culture war but there shouldn't be? Well, we shouldn't play it with the weapons of the world as Christians. So I'm happy to elaborate. Yeah, but, uh, elaborate. I don't want to get too Christian because I, I understand your audience is, is well, broad, but if, if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'm happy uh, to elaborate. Well, okay, let me put something to you which will be brief and then you can elaborate to that. Um, the the arena we're working in is a parliamentary constitutional monarchy democracy um, and, and that comes with it not only the invitation and compulsion, unfortunately, to vote but also the invitation to advocate and to lobby and to debate. Um, so uh, I, I think none of those things, I mean, we should be prayerful about everything that we do um, and, and always, and, and I actually think one of the things I love about our constitution, I love that the parliament starts with the Lord's Prayer every day, even if it's completely useless for a lot of them. Um, I love the posture that says we are a nation under God. I love that the preamble to the legislation which enacted our constitution said these states humbly relying on the blessing of Almighty God. I think our approach to politics should always be spiritual in that we are not the highest authority, that we will give an account one day, even if it's not in this life. That's a concept that's been entrenched in Western democracy and jurisprudence since 1215, the Magna Carta where the lords all got together and threatened the king with war and and all kinds of rubbish if he didn't stop assuming he was the final authority for life and death over people. But but to acknowledge that God gave him his power and he would answer to God for the use of his power and therefore there was an accountability in this life as well um, to, to the population for injustice or justice. So, yes, there's a spiritual 
reality that we need to keep in mind while we're engaging in this arena. But this arena arena is inherently pragmatic. Okay, so that's a lot to respond to once, but I'll, I'll try. And it might feel like Sorry, I'm... Sorry. No, no, it's okay. It might feel like I'm starting with a total non sequitur, but I'm hoping okay. to, to bring it back if you'll just indulge me. And if it gets too weird, just rein me in. Um, so we spoke when we met uh, about the nature of the word conservative and the question about what it is that you're trying to conserve. And part of it is some vision of the good human life, of, of human flourishing, to use the kind of buzzword, uh, that we see rooted in God's ordering of creation, not necessarily in progress based on whatever we as humans want to pursue from our own desires, because as Christians we believe that our desires are from hearts that are curved away from God and towards ourselves because that's what sin does to us. We have hearts that are curved in on themselves. We act selfishly. We don't always recognize God's good design in our lives. In fact, we worship created things instead of the creator. That's that's Romans 1. That explains mm -hmm. uh, the sinful patterns that we find in the world around us. Yep. Um, and so part of the spiritual war is the war for our hearts. It's the war for hearts to be turned back to God and mm -hmm. back to obedience and back to participation in his kingdom. And the Bible's got a particular answer for how that war is won uh, and that it comes through changed hearts brought about by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit comes through the proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel is that our king was crucified by worldly human power, by the people who are wielding the sword. And so his kingdom is not of this world. We don't fight with the weapons of warfare that the world uses in its politics. Like that's pretty fundamental to Paul when he comes to Corinth. He doesn't come like an orator speaking with words of power, but he comes in weakness and trembling, embodying the message that he's proclaiming of a crucified Lord. And when he writes to them again in 2 Corinthians, he says we don't fight with the weapons of this world, but we do demolish arguments opposed to God. And then he goes on to boast in his sufferings, to boast in his embodiment of the message of the gospel. And even though this is foolishness to the world, this is the way he sees warfare being waged. And he's earlier in the letter talked about being an ambassador for Christ and a minister of reconciliation. And just before that, about how he carries around the death of Jesus in his body so that the life of Jesus might be made known. So this is the death of Jesus who was killed by a state who are defined by a narrative around power and excellence and the sword. And so we as Christians, I think, are meant to be suspicious of empires that are just like Rome or just like Babylon. And so I, I don't have a problem with you talking about the lying harlot media because I think in Revelation what we're being told is that the powers and principalities of this world are like harlots. They are like Lady Folly in Proverbs who pulls us away from God. And we shouldn't be listening to these voices. We should mm. be listening to the word of God. And so true humanity is found in being an image bearer of God as we were made to be a representative of his kingdom like a ruler exercising dominion over his earth. Uh, that's a story in the Bible that is very different to the stories about the image of God in Babylon and Rome, which was the king, and the king ruled by dominance and trashing all other nations. And so there was this warfare at the heart of Babylon and Rome, this, this approach to worldly power to the sword that Jesus repudiates when he says people who live by the sword will die by the sword, and where he says take up your cross deny yourself daily and follow me. So when I say the culture war is problematic, it's because I think there are ways of doing politics that are sword-like, even if we aren't armed with swords anymore, that are about yeah, mechanics yeah. of power and pulling the right levers and getting the right results and establishing kingdoms that distort the image of God because they leave us worshipping 
the pursuit of power and the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of sex is where we find the good life. So all those kind of idolatry things in Romans 1. And if we slip into playing that game, it starts to distort our humanity. So the story of the Bible is that you become what you worship. It's that people who worship the things of this world, their hearts get pulled towards those things and Mm -hmm. become stony and turned away from God. And that God's kingdom is the kingdom that brings life through a cross and through a subversion, through what looks like foolishness. So I think often our politics is attempting to play power games like the people around us rather than embracing the humility and the foolishness Say that again. and the love our of enemies is... Is, is an attempt to play the same power game that our neighbours are playing, often well-motivated. Like I, I agree with you that the best way to get political results is pragmatism and it might look like Trump, but political results aren't everything. Faithfulness to the kingdom is everything for the Christian and, and God works through faithfulness and even through martyrdom to grow his church. He I, works I through the I death just... of Jesus. I guess I just don't know how, what exactly you think we're doing wrong, which, what you'd do differently. Well, I think so. Because I don't disagree with anything you've said. No, I know you don't. Um, And and I I think, yeah, I don't know that uh, that there's a a different way of of doing it. well, I think there is. So I think there's uh, an approach to the political other that is built on, and I know you do this, so it's built on hospitality. It's built on sharing a table with someone and working towards a common understanding of what the good is and, and finding common ground. Uh, so how do you think we do that with, um, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, there's, um, I was at a meet your candidate forum that a local church held um, a couple of years ago. And um, I was there to basically just explain some civics lessons, just just speak it. Yeah. After all the candidates got up, I got up and just explained how preferences work for the mm-hmm. congregation. And um, I got into a friendly conversation with the Greens candidate afterwards, and she agreed to watch um, the unplanned um, anti-abortion, uh, you know, pro-woman movie is a better way of saying it. Um, but you know, that movie with me, it's through that that hospitality, that relationship. Yep. She wasn't a nasty troll who lived under a bridge. She was sincere and sincerely misguided. I find that most people on the left aren't nasty trolls who live under the bridge. People on the internet tend to be nasty trolls well, who live under the bridge because they've got the keyboard and, and that's not exactly, the face. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. We we have a caricature of of these people, um, and and there are people like that. Uh, I was at the football um, on Friday night um, holding up um, where's Izzy, bring back Israel, Falau signs. And there was a, a young lady who confronted me afterwards and she was the personification of a nasty troll uh, living under a bridge. She was uh, beautiful on the outside and extremely, uh, what poured out of her was extreme ugliness. Uh, it was confronting. Yeah. It was so surprising the distance between her pretty face and her ugly behavior um so those caricatures are there but uh, certainly uh, my point is that reaching out to this greens candidate i found she was somebody that was open to to a civil and logical conversation Um, so yeah i mean i will say um i'm good friends or friends with 
the Greens councillor in West End. He went to my high school. He's good friends with my sister. And Jonathan, him, yeah, Jonathan Three. So I've met him. I would love to get him on the show. I'll try to arrange that for you. I'll send Let's, him a message. We'll start with a coffee. Um, but we, because my church is in that area of Brisbane, we see if each other morning, events. If you're mourning the hard leftists on Pillow Talk tonight, yeah, wait, wait till, till I get Jonathan Um No, look, we. Jonathan, if you're watching, I will be gentle. He, he grew up in the church. He's sympathetic to Christianity. He's not. A Christian now, and I'd love to see him. We agree on pokies and gambling. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, Michael Berkman, the, the state member, I've I've known him for a long time. I'm not surprised you friend. know if you agree. Yeah, and, and I'm not, and I and I think it's important to know people and to understand their convictions. And yeah. to, um, if I was in his electorate, I'd be really sympathetic to to him. I think he's a, a guy of character who's pursuing. Now, let me give you another example. I was um, inviting a. Greens candidate to a candidate forum being held in in this area, and one of the guys, as soon as he found out we were Christian, just zero interest. Another one of those caricatures come to life. There's so many of these people who are like that in real, and I'm like, wow, uh, you've really got the wrong end of the stick. Um, I think you are full of dignity and equality, and and worth and value, and I disagree with you on the definition of marriage. He was homosexual and. And just took it as a total insult to his identity, uh, and I'm like, I'd love to have coffee with you and just hear what you're saying and and help you understand that I don't hate you and the people who disagree with you don't hate you. We just disagree with you. Yeah, uh, and not interested. And so I think I think, total I think part of the alternative way of politics at that point is to say, I can see. That we have fundamentally different religious convictions at that point. My convictions about marriage come from my belief in a creator who created marriage as a picture of the nature of God, so the triune what nature of God. What about those people who disagree but don't have their religious convictions? Well, I, I'll, they have religious convictions. I, I think there's, a, there's an American writer, David Foster Wallace, who said it first and then a bunch of other people have flogged it, but everybody worships kind of idea. It's... Everybody has religious convictions, even an atheist. And I don't mean that they're not actually an atheist. It's not that no atheists in Foxholes things. It's everybody gives their life to some vision of what life is. It's their worldview. Yeah. Um, but I think as Christians, we can say all worldviews are inherently religious. And, and I want to come back to the tangent I was I going to go on before. I agree but, with that language. Um, yeah, I, I think one of the different ways of playing politics is saying, okay, we live in a democracy. We live in a pluralist society so what does a pluralist solution that keeps people at the table look like that allows me to have my freedom as a christian to believe what i believe about marriage but might extend that same freedom to others on religious freedom grounds and so that's part of the hospitality thing it's not just at the table to discuss what law gets enshrined it's in the laws that you choose to enshrine to allow conversations where people can disagree rather than seeking to smash the other person out of existence so yeah. different people have different political goals based on their theology. I, I appreciate that some people want to see a Christian state because that's uh, an outworking of their Belief. theological beliefs. And, yeah. and we've got to figure out how to accommodate that in a secular society where I'm more comfortable with a, a pluralist society where Christians have a seat at the table. I don't think we do a very good job of having that seat at the table sometimes because we keep saying we don't want that person there or we don't want that. Or being perceived to say that, I think, of being unwelcoming you to, mean like Trump. to others. I'm happy for Trump to have a seat at the table. <laughs> I just don't think Christians should have been saying we have to vote for Trump as a moral obligation. Anyway. Um, should we have a look at some of the questions? Yeah, have a look at some of the questions because 
so entropic dissident says, should we be actively trying to maintain the freedom of our institutions, for example, private schools, religious teachings, evangelism and churches with biblical principles? Uh, how are you going to wage yes. that culture war? Well, I don't think that is a culture war. Well, it certainly is. There's plenty of people trying to If people to want that. to take our freedoms away, we say, no, thank you, but, and we submit to the... Right there is a moment of conflict. That's the culture war. Well, it depends if you take it as a moment of conflict. So I would say... If there's the yes, there's no, there's conflict. It's well, no, because if, if the state says, you cannot do this, I will submit to the state by saying, yes, I can, out of submission to my heavenly father, you bear the sword, though, so you can punish me. Right. So, so civil disobedience. Well, I wouldn't even go so far as saying civil disobedience, but it, it is a, a form of civil disobedience. It's a it's not civil disobedience because I'm not seeking to avoid the consequences. So when a state sets a law, so it sets a punishment. How would you would you? I guess what what um, advocacy before that becomes law would you participate in to prevent it becoming law? I write letters to politicians and I try, try to meet with them and I try to make a case for why religious freedom is good, not just for me, but for blog everybody. I blog about it. Um, so you advocate publicly, argue, debate? But I don't seek to impose my view on the whole table. Well, nobody does. Well, What, what, does, that mean? So I think, what does that look like? Well, that, I, think it looks I get like, accused of wanting to impose... Yep. Uh, my definition of marriage on the whole world. I'm like, no, I want the same voice as you have and I want to put my case and if I make it, that's not me imposing, that's me participating. Well, I think what might have been a generous thing to do at that point for us as Christians would have been to say our view of marriage comes from our faith. We recognise that we're not the only faith group that needs to be accommodated here. We recognise that we have views that this might be harmful and we'd like that to be heard, but... We also recognise that you have different views and our government's job is not to pick the winner based on the number of votes, but to try to accommodate all of us who are citizens at this common table. I think you're being very unrealistic. You just, when, when there's two... I think I'd say idealistic rather than unrealistic. Yeah, I'm going with unrealistic. <laughs> when there's two mutually exclusive options, you can't have part of each. What do, you, what do you mean by mutually exclusive options at that point? Well, marriage is what it is. So you well, are, I believe marriage is between a man and a woman, but, it, but I don't a, mind if the secular state rules differently and I am able to say I believe this, even if there are consequences for my belief. Yeah, but uh, the, if you concede an inch on marriage, the implications for the whole society are, are there not just for you but for the whole society. It's generous that, and it... And, you know, it was a stupid question, you know, why do you care about what other people do in their bedrooms? Well, that was never my concern. Why? The question was, oh, how does it impact you? What a low bar for public policy concern. That was not my concern. And so I, I'm happy for the other person to have a seat at the table to talk about it. But when it comes down to the implementation of policy, mutually exclusive options, like should there be murder or shouldn't there be murder, um, well, that's a very different... I don't know many... Uh, uh, I almost walked into that. So obviously with abortion, I am prepared to advocate for the personhood of an unborn child and that the state should recognise... No, I know, but I almost said I don't see anyone advocating for murder. And you could have said, ah, well, <laughs> what about this? But uh, I, I don't But think... even, even if nobody was advocating for murder, it was just a hypothetical yep. to, to point out that there are mutually exclusive options and we can't always 
keep everybody happy all the time. There, I don't think there it's are about some people happy. There are some people who are going to miss out when we're debating politics uh, and and policies and legislations and, and how we treat each other and and the laws which guide the morality of of civil interaction, private property, uh, taxes, things like that. Uh, you know, there's there are people who have to be disappointed because uh, I, not because of the numbers, but because because they're competing for complete opposite outcomes um, and something in the middle isn't isn't you know it's half the baby in the in the you know solomon's wisdom mm -hmm. kind of case there's no middle ground with some of these debates obviously where there is we should pursue the middle ground yeah I, i'm maybe i'm naive maybe i'm idealistic maybe i'm unrealistic i think there's much more middle ground than we're prepared to see often so I think we, we slip into gender the same in tribalism. Schools. What about gender theory in public schools? Is there a middle ground on gender theory in public schools? Should we should the curriculum include theories about more than two genders or gender fluidity? I think that's a really fascinating question because I think gender dysphoria is a is a documented reality. And I think we should be trying to accommodate people with various uh, different ways of seeing and processing be, the world just weekly no i just just hear me out and i think the the biological that wasn't, that wasn't the question no i know but i think there are biologically intersex people yeah that's as well and so well. yeah and so i do think we want to be accommodating and educating people about the way that life is going to be different for every individual and the way that we navigate navigate the world in the bodies we're given in a world that's broken by sin is going to look different. And so I think we could be much more hospitable when it comes to how we set up schooling to avoid people being bullied for Happy difference. to stipulate we should be and nice so, and teach people to be yeah, nice. So but when Rosward says we need to teach people that they can change genders, not, not an anti-bullying campaign by her own testimony. It's about teaching people that they can change genders and that they there's more than two. How much ground do you concede on that? So uh, probably more than you, um, but not as much as I think would need to be conceded to make me a lefty. Um, so I, I think I think our bodies are a given reality from God and we are to steward them however you would, they come. You would allow Rosward to put some of the safe schools gender theory curriculum into being taught as fact in schools? I don't know that I'd allow it to be taught as fact. I think it's a value rather than a fact. And I think the West has kind of split facts and values in a really this interesting is, way. This is, but, this is but I want you to hear me. me I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me more clearly, though. Uh, I do think gender is a construct and sex is real. So biological sex is given to us by God. But in different cultures. <laughs> I hope you don't think you're conservative. So in different cultures, masculinity looks different in some warrior cultures you have long hair if you're a, a warrior and some you don't so that I, I that, that kind of performative I nature when, when of gender, i was a young adult there was a, an african family who dressed their boys in pink and they had they were offended that people thought they were girls and some of my and they, they just had to be told look in australia if you put your baby in pink it generally means it's a girl some of my polynesian friends wear things that look a whole lot like skirts to me but they're yeah. much more masculine than me sure so but that's so some gender. part of 
Well, but it, but it is how people that, talk about gender. But that's but gender Cultural is often gender but, is often talked about as an expression, as something that you are performing that's I, true I think to yourself. You're playing so, with the margins no, and the semantics instead well, of the, the substance of. Well, the I'm question. just wanting to say, what does it look like to actually listen to people and where they're coming from, and then figure out how you accommodate different yeah, views at the still, table? You're still skirting so the meat. What of I want to say, well, I think the meat of the topic is actually our meat. I think we live in a world that is gnostic that thinks that our inner desires are more important than the bodies God have given us and we should be ruled by our desires oh, and deny the reality I, of our bodies. I dread to see what the, um, what, the, what comments the, are saying. What the comments are saying. It'll, it'll be fun. Um, let's see the latest. Um, Jill's got some nice things to say. Um, uh Five minutes ago, Jill said... Uh, <laughs> what were we talking about five minutes ago? That you're being unrealistic, maybe, yes. maybe naive. Sure. Um, Wouldn't it be nice if there were more people who were naive and unrealistic, though? And, no, and no. And that, no, that changed things. That challenged the status quo we'll of cynical, cynical pragmatism. And McRobert says, I think it becomes more complicated. We look at lowering the age of consent. There are horrible consequences for others. How hard do you fight? Colin says, Nathan suggested Mitt Romney and John McCain were okay Republicans. <laughs> they, they were warmongers. Uh, absolutely. We could talk about that too because uh, that is part I mean, of it. We'll, we'll bring this home soon. Yeah. Um, Nathan, we have a Christian attitude. Jill again, so we try to be fair and accommodating, but our opposition is not so hospitable. Uh, what happens when the state takes away children from their parents because the parents won't support LGBT? Um, Jill says, more recently, um, two minutes ago, when we were talking about this, this nonsense is being taught often forcibly in schools. Parents don't always have the right to withdraw their children. I, I, I don't want to get, I don't want to get stuck on the the questions of yep. of the content so of, of gender theory and, yep. and safe schools or, or whatever yep. Trojan horse name they're putting it with right now. Um, how we can all be I friends. I want to take a step back from that too because I I'd just like to make this one point, and I know you're probably going to go somewhere. Well, else. my my whole my whole question is is this so many of these ideas in the culture war that are being thrust upon us in an effort to degrade culture devalue family marriage sexuality gender etc attacks on the sacred image of god in every human these to concede an inch is exactly alinsky's rules for radicals it's just about ratcheting it one millimeter one inch at a time so that over five decades, since the 50s, the 60s, we have conceded so many things to be nice and not fought for immovable lines that must not be crossed, that, that we have given them the victory just through being nice. And, and I mean, we, the watchmen on the walls, who are meant to say, you know, out of, not out of accumulation of power, but out of concern for our neighbours, you can't do that. We're going to build a wall around our city, our nation, our, mm. our society, and you may not bring in those perverse ideas because they are damaging to the lives, the emotions, the experiences, the the realities for so many, not because I'm worried about me, not because I'm legalistic or, or wanting to impose my religion on, on other people, but because I care about other people and I know this is going to have bad outcomes for too many people. 
Yeah, so I want to come back um, to to something like the title of your conference, Church and State, and think about how they intersect and overlap and how they don't. Mm. Uh, And so I want to say as the church, and I'm a pastor, so my primary concern is actually not political at all. I, I believe the gospel is political. We proclaim that Jesus is Lord and we proclaim that he came to bring a kingdom that is not of this world. He came to be an utterly different king to Caesar and to say life is not found with Caesar as an image of God or in Babylon where the king was the image of God. It is found in Jesus as the exact representation. When you say not of this world, it means not from this world, but his kingdom is for this world. Yes, that's an interesting distinction, but I do think we still live in a world full of kingdoms that are not absolutely kingdoms filled with his spirit. So I think, and, and, And that's exactly my point, is church and state, uh, and look, this is um, some of the, the most famous jurists in our traditions uh, understood that law is discovered, not made, meaning it comes, it comes from, from God's God. kingdom. So it flows from yeah. God into our human realms and there are many things to be explored and discovered, um, but we don't get the right to make up laws. And, and so th- that's kind of where I'm agreeing with you. Yeah, his kingdom is not of this world as in sourced in this world, but it is for this world. Yeah, so I want to say, though, that I think his kingdom is, in a sense, before his return, it is visible in the church. So this is where theology is going to shape politics. I don't expect the world to behave like the church. Mm. I don't think the New Testament expects the Roman Empire to be Christian. That it becomes, because I think Paul wants to get the gospel to like the church. Rome. So I don't think Do we mean should with be expecting... rules or with morality? I think both. I think Rome was profoundly immoral. Rome was the empire well, whose authority I dis- I was used. With you Rome was the empire whose authority was used to kill the son of God. I think that is immoral. I think is it the, not? The evolution of the West um, is profoundly moral, profoundly Christian. Yes. So I think the West was deeply that, influenced by Christianity. That is the expansion of the kingdom into this world for the benefit. But what of, about China? Of humanity. So our political theology has to work. Not yet Christian. in China. <laughs> Well, but we're post-Christian now, so well, there's that kind of political theology. Anyway, sorry, we're, we're moving further. Democracy. We're moving further and further away from the point I was wanting to make. Sorry, I want, uh, as a pastor who thinks the kingdom of God is, in a sense, realised in the church. Well, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're citizens of heaven. We are the picture of the kingdom coming in our lives as the Spirit transforms us into the image mm. of Christ. I want our statements to the world to not just be political and not just be evangelistic, but to be pastoral as well. So I don't want what we say about same-sex marriage or about homosexuality or about gender identity to mean that no person who experiences that uh, way of living in the world and that vision of the good life will ever darken the doors of a church. I want them to come and sit at a table with us, not just a public table where we say we want to be hospitable to you, but at the table where we serve communion and say you can be one with God if you put your trust in Jesus and that will mean if you submit your life to him you submit your loves to him you submit your body to him and that will change the way that you steward the body that God has given you and the desires that you experience in this world where our hearts are turned away from God by sin but where the spirit is turning our hearts back to him I want our politics to be an invitation to people to Mm. know the goodness of Jesus not to think of themselves as an enemy who we have to destroy but as an enemy who Jesus died to make a friend, who we are seeking in our the way we love and serve and reach out to them across these divides. And so the problem with the culture war, I think, is it creates an us and them. And if the us, if the Christians are over here and never over here, if there's no sense that you can be a Christian on this side of a divide... Then I, I think you're assuming too much about 
the culture war. Um, the, for a start, I mean, you're either in it or you lose it. Um, and, but sometimes and so, losing it is the way of the cross. No, it's not. That that's like that's no. That that's just that that's that's actual failure to obey clear commands in scripture. What's to the clear command? Intervene in injustice. But you can intervene by laying down your life. No. Yeah. Well, that's well, what I, Jesus did. Well. Pilate wasn't being Jesus particularly had a just. unique ministry. We don't have to replicate. But Paul says, well. imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he says, the way he does that is he suffers for the gospel. Unless he you're has... advocating becoming crucified for the salvation of all men, there's a limit to how No, well, Paul says, I didn't die for you, Christ, in, in 1 Corinthians right. 1. But he also says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And he boasts in his sufferings, not his victories over people. And he yeah. boasts in his chains. I know you're not advocating passivity in the, in the invitation to participate in the public square no but i am saying that say revelation 11 where the, the faithful witnesses to the gospel are put to death in the public square where the, that same great city where their oh, lord was crucified willingness to die is is a great thing and, and certainly chinese christians are very good at doing that for the sake of the and gospel. i think an expectation that and, if we're... And, and middle eastern and, and so many um non-western nations where persecution is is mortal not not just rhetorical. Yeah. So I, I would say that the impact the impact of Christianity on the West was born out of Christians doing this in the early church. It was born out of them taking in babies. It was born out of them living sacrificial lives where they, yeah, they created had, funeral societies for no the dead pagans. Democracy inviting them to the public square. That was the only option. No, so had. I think we should take up that invitation, but do it winsomely and gently. And if someone tries to sue you, you give them your coat as well, and you turn the other cheek. You don't come in and say, "I'm going to beat you at this game." He said, I'm going to love you and um, hope to be heard and hope that the, the nature of the kingdom is represented in your actions. The, the problem is that um, winsomeness has incredible limitations uh, and, and, and most obviously Jesus wasn't always winsome. Yeah, particularly when he was talking to religious people, he wasn't so winsome. Well, they weren't just religious people. They uh, were the social leaders, the rulers yeah. who, who made the, people the laws who used, for every day. The people they, who fused religion and political power together. Well, that was the culture they were in. They didn't. They were the inheritors of that system, like we're the inheritors of whatever system we've got. But they were the legislators of the, the laws and policies which affected the day-to-day -day lives of most of the people that were around there. And, and Jesus' character assassinated them on more than one occasion. Yeah, for being too like the Romans often. Well, whatever reason it was, winsomeness isn't a so universal... I'm happy to rebuke Christians posture. for being too like the Romans. Um, <laughs> but go on. Kind of yeah. a tangent. Yeah. Um, you know, that wasn't why Jesus... You know, it was because of the injustice that they were... It wasn't because only because they were like the Romans. It was because of injustice that Jesus rebuked them. Hmm. So the, the time that he rebukes Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan, seems to me, and I'm, I'm preaching through Mark's gospel at the moment, it seems to me because Peter is expecting him to come in as a military victor who wipes the Roman Empire into the sea, and he wants that. And uh, Jesus whoa, says, whoa, get whoa, behind whoa, me, Satan. Now, but now you're, now you're, you're really distorting what happened there well, in, go, in, into... Jesus speaking against physical government intervention or, or um, 
a pragmatic government. Well, not, I'm not advocating violence, just for the record. <laughs> uh, and you don't ever. Right? Monty Herald, and I never, ever do. And you never want to see a violent revolution. Never want to see a violent revolution. I, did, I just have my John Sandeman there's, moment. There's I got no, you to, we're not joking about yeah, it here. Yeah. It's very serious. I'm not smiling. Um, but, yeah, when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, it wasn't because Jesus was against pragmatic intervention in worldly political systems. No, but it was because... It, it was because that was what they expected prematurely of the second return of Christ in the first return of Christ, well, and that was not Jesus's mission. But his words right are, then. you don't have in mind the things of God but the things of man. Exactly. And that so his rebuke is, you're thinking I'm coming as a, an earthly Messiah, but I'm coming to bring the kingdom of that's heaven. That's right. And, and so it wasn't, I just I just want to make it clear, that wasn't Jesus commenting on we're political pretty religious, activism. We're getting pretty religious right now. Have your viewers dropped off? Or are they picking up? Like maybe this is the new way forward for the... <laughs> No, no, they're okay. They're okay. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, you, you sounded dangerously close to suggesting Jesus's concern was that Peter was interested in politics. I when think Jesus's concern was that that Peter was wanting to uh, to derail the necessary path that Jesus was uniquely on that none of us will ever so, need to be on. So I think Peter, well, I, I question that last Fair. bit, but I, I well, we, Pete, we so, don't need to pay for the sins of humanity. No, we don't, we, we don't pay for the sins of humanity, but we might, might need to die as faithful witnesses well, to the gospel. What, so, yeah. so James and John have the same moment where they're talking about who's going to be the Jesus greatest was in the kingdom. Jesus in his martyrdom. Yes, but he was a model in his martyrdom. He was a sacrifice. He's, he's a model in his sacrifice. We're getting too detailed. Anyway, so, sorry, just to, to step back. So as long I, as you concede he wasn't against political pragmatism in, no, that, in that comment. No, because I think this is the, the heart of the, the distinction that we're trying to... We, this is the heart of our disagreement, I think, because I think the, the ways of this world often look a whole lot like pragmatism. It looks like finding the right levers to pull to get the right results. And so I think Jesus was saying, you think like a human, you think like an Adam, you, you have followed the, the tempter, Satan, who, who's led you down this path of wanting to grasp hold of the things of this world, yeah. including political power. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The kingdom of God is going to come with a cross and a crown of thorns, not a sword and a crown of gold and a throne, a throne in Jerusalem. It's going to come with the political leaders putting me to death. And so I, I'm wanting, I think Jesus is saying, I'm wanting to change your expectations. And you'll see this. When the spirit comes, like you're not seeing it yet. And so James and John, same thing. We, who's going to be the greatest when you come into your glory? Well, he says the places on my right and left aren't for me to, yep. to pick. And then you've got two criminals on his right and left when he comes into his glory, when he's enthroned and crowned as the king of the kingdom. So let me just get this straight. Isaiah 117, where it says, intervene in injustice, rebuke the oppressor. Um, you think there's no way of doing that pragmatically? Well, I think... I think the kingdom of God is an inherent rebuke to the oppressor. I think Jesus came to bring judgment on the systems of the world and say these are not the way of God and they're going to lead to destruction. Do you think that that's what that meant? What I think that meant. What 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 well, God was what the spirit of God was saying. It's the written to Isaiah. it's written to Israel living in exile in you, Babylon. I think they I think they know what oppression looks like. You and don't they think know, that's a, a modern command? That's no, so I'd, I'd be today I'd be Christians really wary. Rebuke oppressors and intervene in injustice. Well, I think this might be another theological distinction because I think well, I'm well, no, no, no. So I think when Jesus says the law, the Psalm of the prophets are written about me, and where he says these are the very scriptures that testify about me, and where he says I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfil them. We have to take those 
prophecies to their fulfillment in Jesus and then look at what that looks like for us as we mm. seek to obey our king. So Jesus is the fulfillment of God's opposition to the proud and the oppressor. And he, when he quotes Isaiah in Luke 4, he talks about his kingdom being thoroughly different to the kingdoms of this world that break and oppress people mm. uh, and that he comes to bring uh, liberation. And, and that Small government. <laughs> I'm all for small government. This is why I'm a conservative. I'm just pointing at the computer. This is why I'm a conservative. Uh, uh, yeah, look, I think he he came to fulfil those prophecies in a way that people were expecting him to come and wipe out the Romans, but he came and was killed by the Romans and brought the spirit and, and brought the return from exile from God by giving us the spirit so that we're his temple, we're his presence in the world. Yeah. And the way we do politics is an expression of that. And so that will look like caring for the oppressed, but that will look like caring for the oppressed across a whole suite of issues. It will look like caring so, for the, so me, the refugee and the homeless. and what, the. What do you think we shouldn't be doing that we are doing, um, hard right Christians? Yeah, so I think we are wedding ourselves, there's that word again. Be, to be a, practical, yep. specific. What are the actual things we're doing? I think we're employing a mode of political engagement that is built on pragmatism, built on securing the results that we think are good, and I think that's well motivated. And I think it's a legitimate application of a theology I disagree with. So I'm not going to say you should never do that, but I will say I think it can lead to bad results and a, and a witness to the gospel that isn't quite what I think the gospel looks like. And I'm happy to say I could be wrong about that. I'm happy to sit here and have these conversations and mm. hear from a tradition outside of my own and have so, that critique my tradition. But be specific. Like what yep. do you think? So I don't think. Well, be, criticize yep. me. So I don't invited. think. Invited. I think I think we should have defended Israel Folau on the basis of religious freedom, but not we because have. we should have oh, we defended should have. him for religious freedom, but not as a Christian, because I think he rejects a pretty essential doctrine to the Christian tradition, which is the Trinity. I think he's on the record. He goes to he's part of his family church that has it. So I think for political reasons, we made him a Christian and aligned him with the church without worrying about theological distinctions on the Trinity, which is important, but also I think his meme actually took the words of Scripture and turned them around. So instead of being a message to Christians who have the spirit about what God requires of us now that we are washed and sanctified, it made it a message of judgment to people outside the church, where a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians, which Paul is quoting, Paul says, I'm not writing to you about the sexual don't, morality don't of the it, church. Into, uh, so, so I think... I think we took a political, a politically pragmatic approach to the Israel Folau scenario that confused people about what the gospel is, but was good politics. So we should have defended him, but on the basis of religious. The same freedom. way I would defend a Muslim on the, on religious freedom grounds, because I want people to be able to pursue truth but about the world probably, through a religious, the religious set of convictions, I, I, and to be able to articulate. Those I don't beliefs. think there's an argument that needs to be prosecuted in public about his doctrine, but I probably agree with your conclusion that whether he was Muslim or or, or how Christian or not, that yeah. the religious freedom and principle so, was important. And so I don't think that political strategy ended up being pastoral either. It ended up uh, making the yardstick for orthodoxy, saying things about people who are same-sex attracted or gay, regardless of Sandra what they do Marie with says she agrees with you. There you go. Hi, Sandra. Nice to have someone <laughs> agreeing with me. Uh, look, I, I think we we take uh, opportunities that are presented to us to win political victories at the expense of the character of the kingdom. I think Trump's an example of that. I think the Falau thing was an example of that. I think the language of war 
culture war. I think there is a spiritual war, but we don't fight with the weapons of this world. We we arm ourselves with the armor of God, yeah. and we recognize that political I think forces. You're too hung up on that. So we recognize that political forces are expressions of spiritual realities and of idolatry, but that change to those hearts it's, comes I, through I the just gospel. Think it's, it's such. Uh, I think you put way too much concern on that. It's like the battle of ideas. Well, I, I want to say though that kind of language doesn't result anywhere bad unless you're already a sociopath <laughs> that's probably true but it does it does speak to a character that is not i think the character of the crucified king it might be the character of the returning victorious king with the sword and this is where a different theology might produce a different yeah, yeah. way of politicking and i think that was something that, that we kind of having said that shouldn't you spend your time prosecuting a more worthy problem i do a heap more than just writing on a blog i'm a pastor i preach every week i'm pastoring people who are but gender diverse and who are, because i think character matters i think our witness matters and i think the culture but you're talking war, about theological differences like isn't that but theological just, differences are important that's the reformation yeah but you're essentially trying to make everybody presbyterian if that's what Not your focus is well, you're trying to arrive at most Presbyterians, most Presbyterians don't think I'm very Presbyterian on this front. Um, <laughs> but you take my point, is, is what you're actually trying to do is conform everybody to your I'm theology. just trying to make the truth public, Dave. Why shouldn't I contend for truth in the same way that those who want to wage a culture war are? And, and well, if, if it, Jesus does reserve his judgmental let, let tone me, for religious people... It's because the people who are waging a culture war against humanity, family, sexuality, identity, those are legitimate targets. Those ideas should be in our crosshairs. Um, sectarian differences, not. Well, I preach the gospel every Sunday hoping that those people will come and hear the gospel. That's my method of, yeah. that's my taking up the wars of, the, the weapons, of, no, sorry, that's my way of taking up the weapons, not of this world, but, but from God, the demolishing pretensions that set themselves up mm. in opposition to the kingdom of God. And I hope to be embodying the way of the cross as I do that and as I serve people and as I deny myself daily. I'm not great at that all the time. Sometimes I'm selfish. Sometimes my heart still is curved back in on itself. Sometimes I say things on the internet that I regret later and I apologise for because I'm caught up in the default patterns of this world, which are culture war. Mm. So there's a reason that piece got pulled. And it's not that I thought I said untrue things. It's that I didn't think... A lot of people won't be aware of that it's piece. That, so, I so there was a piece um, that Nathan wrote on his blog, which he named me and a bunch of other people, and and I I think it kind of implied, maybe unintentionally, just trying to be gracious, that um, if we kept doing what we did do, it could result in physical riots and and violence, um, and and it also got published in a in a Christian. Um, journal online um, and there was a lot of negative feedback and complaints that it bordered on defamation and uh, Nathan essentially apologised for getting his message distracted by his style and yes, the, the, the landing point the landing point was exactly was that, we should be doing a, this a nicer description Look, I'll, we could manage I'll, um, so I'll, I'll add a, uh, two qualifications the landing point of that piece was we should be peacemaking which is exactly what but it you just, did. It just, no, so, it just got there by yeah, flame wars. Yeah, so it's exactly <laughs> what you did when you reached out and said, let's have coffee. That was the message of the piece. So it clearly worked for you. But um, 
Now, look, I, I apologised not for the substance of my argument, but for the style that went with it that was engaging while saying we shouldn't fight the culture war, I inadvertently became a culture warrior because mm. I turned my sword, my my pen, against these people and uh, and I, I was happy to apologise for the parts of my piece that did that but not for the critique of the wall, the military. One language. of the points I want to make, and we're having, I guess we're having fun to, to a certain extent. Sorry, I'm getting tangled up in cords here. Um, one of the points I want to make is you, you're talking about pastoring, uh, and I think I think there's necessarily a difference between pastoring, pastoring and preaching, um, and and I, I think there's times where it's impossible to do both at the same time, uh, and so what you preach from the pulpit about what God says about marriage and sexuality will be confronting and abrasive to those people who don't want to hear it. But when you step down from the platform and the pulpit and you encounter that person who's experiencing, then you can be a lot more conciliatory and and mm. uh, and, and listening. Um, but you can't you can't mince words and you can't compromise the cold, hard reality. Jesus is absolutely clear about how big a problem the gospel is, calling it a stumbling block. Calling it uh, bringing a sword and and division yeah. and and the, these people, you know, he, where he says the world is going to hate you because it hated me first. So there is no criticism now. Some people are sometimes del delightfully malicious, as in they they love doing it, and they're yeah. a problem. But for people who are just being Christ-like, there's no surprise when the world still hates them. And here's my point. That's their problem, tragically, because they choose to be like that. So this girl at the football the other night, all she saw was the name Israel Folau, and she inferred everything she wanted to about me without any interest in truth or reality reality at all. Um, like yeah. the only way I could have not offended her was to have had zero witness. Yeah, so I want to step back two steps to the link between preaching and pastoring. Okay, I, fair. I, I don't think there's a distinction because I think the essence of preaching is the proclamation of the Lordship of Jesus and the essence of pastoring is pointing people to the Good Shepherd, who is Jesus, who, who comes as a king, who feels compassion for lost sheep and wants to draw them into his, his kingdom. And lost sheep are idolatrous people. Lost sheep are people who've turned from the creator to cre created things and who have been trapped in that delusion by God's judgment. So Romans 1 says God gives them over to this way of seeing the world that is not true. And so part of our job is to reveal the truth of the gospel and have the spirit illuminate that truth in people's hearts. Uh, and so I don't think the declarative function of preaching is anything other than pointing people to the good news of Jesus. I think that the word preacher comes from the the word for herald in the in the, the Greek, the, the person who would announce the victory of Caesar, the Carex, who would bring the on the gospel to, to parts of the empire and declare this victory of, of Caesar. So that's what we're doing when we preach. We're declaring the victory of God in Jesus through the crucifixion. And the thing that ultimately becomes a stumbling block, it's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, it's the cross, it's the foolishness of the cross to a world so wedded to this wrong view of the world because they don't have the mind of Christ because they're worshipping things other than their creator. 
And so the cross challenges that because it tells us that we're sinful, it tells us that we need redemption, and it tells us that our idols are hollow. And so in the book of Acts, as Paul takes up this kind of role of the suffering servant and starts suffering for the gospel, the thing that causes offence is the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the way that hollows out the value of idols and it challenges empires. So it's the seditious nature of the proclamation that Caesar's not the, the mm. Son of God and the Lord of, the, of all things, but Jesus is, that really unsettles Rome in their kind of dominion system. But it's when he proclaims Jesus as the true God in, in Ephesus and that hollows out the demand for idols that the city riots because he's disrupted their whole economy that's built on idolatry. They, they didn't think he and was winsome. Yeah, and it's, well, too many people did is the problem. And so they rioted. Too many people being won to his witness to this crucified king. And, and in Athens, yeah, it's, but, it's when he proclaims the resurrection that people laugh an, at him. You've just had an each way bet. Like there's plenty of people who were effectively persuaded by the declaration of truth in love um, and and they are not an argument that the people who were offended by it don't exist. No, no, they do exist. But I think the, the method of proclamation is, is in so weakness and humility and in love and in... Um, uh, focused just, on the people who get offended. I think they're just reading the New Testament. No, they're not just focusing on the people who get offended. They're saying this is what we're commanded to do in the New Testament. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Always make the most of every opportunity. The wisdom and winsomeness go hand in hand at that point, but it's the Look, love I'm your not, enemies. I'm not advocating a callous, bombastic, yeah. um, polemic attack on And on the trick the is there are, there are polemics in the New Testament. So Revelation, mm -hmm. I, I read as a polemic against the Roman Empire. It's a, this apocalyptic unveiling of the yeah. folly of Rome and the harlotry of kingdoms opposed to God. And so there's a place for polemics, absolutely. Justin Robinson uh, shares, uh, just put up the, the next one, Grant, when you can, um, uh, that, and this is one of my favourite verses. This is like, uh, I've loved this since I was a young teenager. Proverbs 27.6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, uh, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Um, uh, I saw you quote that somewhere online. Was it in oh, the I, podcast I just, yesterday or I, it's on your, I may, on your world? I yeah. may share it all the time. Yeah. Uh, the NIV translation says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a degree in which that is talking about relationships, which isn't politics. We're not in relationship with our ideological counterparts. Um, there, there's no permission there to wound them. Um, but, you know, Justin is a friend of mine. He's, he is somebody whose sincerity I trust, whose walk with God I trust, whose Christian maturity I trust. He has permission to slap me rhetorically. Sorry about the violence. And if he does, you turn the other cheek and he'll slap that one as well. Well, no, I, it, it's that wounds from a friend can be yeah. trusted. It's it's the friendship mm -hmm. premise there. That so, And there's... And, and here's probably a, a point I'd make at Christians who indulge a lot on Facebook in, in criticising other Christians is, it, you know, it, it's not true in a simplistic sense that iron sharpens iron. It's a complicated process in metallurgy that is, is actually really quite involved because the average person today goes, iron doesn't sharpen iron. If you rub a knife against iron, you're going to blunt it. Um, and and the, the, it's about relationship. It's actually about melting those metals together so that they borrow each other's traits. 
And the, the trick, and it's in the same chapter, Proverbs 27, that iron sharpens iron is, is referred to. But in 27, it says, you know. You're being preachy now, by the way, not me. Just It's all cool. I'm fine with that. but It's you know. all cool. But this is, this is the point is that it, it's based on friendship. Hmm. Um, and so the, the polemic that's um, distrib- directed at uh, these ideas these false ideas, these perverse ideas, these dangerous ideas that are the symptom of the culture war, um, mm. which is timeless. It's it's not just since the hippie convention. It, it's timeless, um, ancient at the very least. Um, you know, those things have to be headbutted, but Christians don't have to be headbutted and by each other. And and again, we, even was- even even beyond Christendom. It's important to just have a civil debate on Facebook and, Absolutely. and just not be. Which is exactly why I apologise for the tone. Which but the conclusion, the conclusion of the piece was, let's peacemake and sit at the mm-hmm. table together. And that I meant that bit more than any of the other bits. I'm concerned about the rhetoric of the other that comes with the culture. Where I'm concerned that we don't sit at a table with, and I know you do, and so. That was one of the, the nicest parts of our coffee. It was not just that you having coffee with me, and, and you but know the what? stories it's, you told about the same with others. It's still true that I have to be aware. And, and I mean, there, there's whatever objections I had to your piece, there was elements of truth in it that, yeah, I, I do need to maintain a constant vigil that I'm not, um, uh, that I'm, I'm not toxic. That's probably the best way of putting it. I've been using that word a bit too much lately. I don't yeah, want to is get it your lazy. masculinity that's toxic. Or no, well, it's 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 just a word that uh, this, no, ah. it's not my masculinity that's toxic. What what I want to be aware of is I think it's perfectly legitimate and Christ-like to be zealous and passionate defender of truth, justice, and others, um, and and that can result in severe criticism of those people who are anti-truth, anti-God, anti-others. I mean, the abortion industry, I've got no time for. Um, here's, here's, a, here's an articulation of how what you're describing is really, really true. When I had an interview with an abortionist, um, I was acutely aware that if I simply headbutted her rhetorically, that I could be responsible for such a bad taste in her mouth that um, she might delay her her um, her moment with God by another year, might kill babies for another year, um, and and so that's I think that's what you're kind of getting at. Yeah, so that's true. I think of every interaction. While we are pragmatic and we're in a culture war and we need to confront these ideas, we still have to maintain intention. This fact that we're even in those interactions leaving an impression which could be a failure or fulfillment of a kind of pastoring yeah. um, opportunity. So I, so I think the, the distinction is I would say I think the weapons that we bring to the culture war are the example of Jesus in his crucifixion, not because we have to be crucified to save people from sin, but because he says take up yourselves, deny yourselves daily and follow me. And what Paul does throughout Acts and in his letters is he talks about how he has 
embodied the way of Jesus in ways that aren't impressive in the ways of the world and don't get the results. I just that don't we might know get, what that means but, without being all... It just sounds fluffy and... I know it does. I'm unable to hang a hat on it. <laughs> but that's, that's okay because I think part of the issue is that we want to hang a hat on results, but what I'm saying is the result is actually the character producing us as we pursue godliness. Not not outcomes. I just and and I'm not saying I, I want you to help me understand yeah. you more because I'm I just don't know how what that is different to other than trying while disagreeing robustly with someone to remember they're a person. Well, I think I, I think I saw a question about would this have worked with Hitler, which you know Godwin's law and all that, but um, which which is a ter <laughs> terrible logical fallacy. Anybody, who's, um, I, th I think the. David's law should be anybody who says Godwin's law has automatic. Isn't the idea just that it's so ubiquitous? You can come up with better. But the the point well, is, I, I don't say Stalin. So I, I mean, Bonhoeffer was involved in a plot to kill Hitler, and if that had worked, that would have been, you know, that would have been a thing. But somehow, his faithful opposition to Hitler to the point of his death is a greater witness to the problems with Hitler's form of empire than had he been successful. Fair point. So. We hold him up as an exemplar because he spoke truth to power at cost to himself, out of love. He stayed in Germany when he could have gone to America. That's taking up his cross. He he thought about taking up a rifle and being part of a plot to kill Hitler. And who knows what we'd have done in the same situation. But the outcome of faithful presence in Nazi Germany my was answer, not necessarily my to that thought experiment is yeah, quite callous. But it's, it's not necessarily political success. It's faithfulness to Jesus. It's it's saying, yes, I did what was required of me, which was to embody the nature of the kingdom, even if that meant the sword was turned against me, the, the sword of the state. Yep. And so it, it's just a, a... Well, I'm glad you're using Bonhoeffer as an example because now I can hang... And I can, I can replicate that because he was a vocal person both in the pulpit and out of the pulpit. Uh, he was pragmatic and, and practically trying to uh, use the systems at his disposal um including including willing disobedience to the government when the government's laws were immoral um so yeah and being jailed for like being jailed he, he didn't think he shouldn't have been executed jail, yeah. um so even in his submission to god he submitted to the boy well, he didn't have much choice i'm sure he would have run if he could but um i would um but yeah uh, are we are we close to agreeing i don't know are we uh, so, yeah, I, I think I have, from our coffee together to now, no sense that you're not acting in good faith in your approach to, to politics. There are things that you do, rhetorical flourishes that you employ that are a bit what I would kind of say are more sordid than crossy, and there's ways of seeing the other outside has, the church. That has to be quote of the night, <laughs> sordid and crossy. <laughs> so, so there's like... I just think our weapon, the cross looks a whole lot like a table, I guess, in my understanding of things. Both the, let's go the with, table. Let's go with Marshall and Crucifer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, way too into the cross. Yeah, so Cruciformity, there's, there's a great book by a guy named Michael Gorman, which profoundly shaped my political understanding. I like Sorting and Crossy Cruci better. Called Cruciformity, that's right. It's, it's just trying to bring it down to the, yeah, <laughs> the non-theologically the non educated. Well, I know you've done some Bible college as well. But... Yeah, I just want to say I think that sometimes our strength, God's power is made perfect in our weakness, not our strength. And sometimes that will look like laying down our rights and seeking to love our enemies and seeking to reach across divides, not using 
flame war language and seeing them as an enemy to be destroyed, but as someone who might want to destroy us, who we respond to that with not repaying evil with evil, but with love and trusting that God, you know, I, that God will deliver justice in the end. I, I do hold tenderly that balance and tension and am constantly reflecting for have I got it right um, and what adjustments need to be made. Um, and, and yet I also hold that there were groups in society which Jesus was unrestrained in his criticism of. And, and there are groups in this society that I feel it's appropriate to be unrestrained in criticism of. Um, and in so doing, making room for the possibility that there are obviously exceptions. So with the Pharisees, there was the exception of Nicodemus, who Jesus you know, took him at face value when he came and, and asked genuine, sincere, civil questions, not trying to trap him, um, well, you know, I know ABC journalists who are full of integrity and balance and and honesty. I I know them and I like them and I get on with them. We have great phone conversations and I've even been on one of their shows. Um, and so my comments to the ABC are not universal. They are generalizations. Mm. Um, but I think um, I think they're a fair target. Uh, much the same as the Pharisees were because and for much the same reasons. Yeah, I guess if the ABC was claiming to represent the kingdom of God on earth and well, you bring no, it, it about... I, it wasn't just religious yeah. with Jesus. It was also social. I don't think you can split. So I think part of our problem is we've got a secular sacred divide that doesn't actually exist. So I don't think you can split religious and social and political. I think they're all... Well, only in as much as in those days it was a, an inseparable theocracy where the secular... the the spiritual and social was inseparable. But also because all politics is essentially religious. Like back to that kind of stuff about worldviews and everybody worshipping. Mm. Everybody is motivated by some vision of I think I think the, the opposite happens is that people think, well, Jesus only criticised religious people, as in you can only now criticise Christians and religious people. Well, no, that's not at well, all. Well, he criticised Herod a fair bit, who was... So I think, John the Baptist. Yeah, and, and I think Herod was more Roman than Jewish, you know. You know fair. Um, I think he was, a, a lot of Luke's gospel seems to be critique of Herod, like right from the slaughtering, all that, that's Matthew, but the, the way Herod's regime from the slaughtering of John the Baptist through is beastly, it's, it's um, oppressive, it's what Revelation then describes the Roman Empire as. Uh, Jesus is pretty keen to criticise him, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so that I guess that's my caveat. It's my, my, and it's not because I'm looking for an escape clause so I can be, you know, vicious. It's it's actually because I, I think justice demands that we be brutally honest. Yeah. So here's here's the thing I was thinking about today. I, I was listening to something about ourselves. Did. Yeah. Uh, the thing I was thinking about today with the the lying harlot media, I think there's truth in that because I think empires opposed to Christianity are described in those terms in in Revelation, but I think empires that are described that way also include something like Amazon or the kind of corporate entities that set up greed as a god and take people away mm. from God. And so part of the kind of... Crony capitalism. Or part of the, the, part of the right-left thing, but even um, even surveillance capitalism, the way that companies... I'm not familiar use, with that. So, well, you, there's, a, there's a great book on it. There's this sense that... Welcome our, to the next half hour. Yeah, of <laughs> digital corporations that collect lots of data on us and sell us things that they know we desire because of our past behaviours. 
there's this way of talking about that that's called surveillance capitalism. It's okay. called so Google knowing all that stuff about you and then being able to serve you ads that keep you in your bubble and sell you the things you want. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an insidious nature to that that fuels this consumerism in us, that fuels a sort of greed that is a product of our hearts but shapes our hearts. And so that's dangerous as well. Mm -hmm. But capitalism is given a free reign by people on the right often as a good way to produce prosperity, which it has been, but unfettered capitalism with no regulation around fair. what a company can, what data they Again, can collect. Um, so I'd want to be calling Amazon Babylon in a, in a way. I'd want to be saying this is what Babylon looks like. There's systems of power and control that, mm. that, te that teach us to be consumers who pursue a certain image of what God is like and form us into images of those gods that we're worshipping. Uh, I just want us to be consistent in our diagnosis of idolatry. So part of the problem with the Falau meme was greed was dropped off the list. The same list of sins that he quoted, no greed in that list of awful worldliness and worshipping. You know what, I would hold him accountable for that if he'd made the meme. Well, that's right, but the people who made the meme were a bunch of hateful street preachers in the US. Yeah. And so and, and again, there's we, a lack we, of... We, we, can, we can just overanalyse what other Christians are doing yep. to a point where that becomes incredibly toxic. But it's to common. Our okay. So it's, it's, that becomes a yeah. problem to our witness. So, let, I mean, let, let me. Doesn't it? Yeah, it does. But let me bring it home to, to the, the piece. But I think that's day. an important point to not yeah. rush past. Yeah. So I think absolutely. And I think I want to see Christian voices to power be consistent. The, the ones that we can hold to account and should hold to account, the ones who are in our. Uh, broadly speaking, in our theological camp, who we say, you are a brother in Christ and I want to see you do better at representing the kingdom. I think we can rightly call out when the agenda is too narrow. And so I, I, we've talked about climate and, you, you know. You know what? I think the only place to do that is in relationship, as per Proverbs 27. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a Facebook friend are just a waste of time. Yeah, I think that's I think that's true. I think there is something about the we, nature we of... Let me go further. Yeah. Um, this is David's Proverbs 32. <laughs> um, wounds from a Facebook friend are a bad witness. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why I regret the storm on Facebook mm. last week. I think the challenge it's is... It's a cautionary tale for yeah. all of us. It, it's so easy to pile on. And use mean words yeah. because it's a keyboard. So the, the challenge just, the challenge is... And it feels good. There's a rush because you get a like on your little insult and yeah. somebody else who thinks, yeah. The challenge is I have, I have this blog that it's not the number one thing I do, but it's a thing I do. And it's... Um, it's you a have, good track record. Good have, legacy, 15 years. You have a, a news service and a website. So you have a video news service and a website. We are in the marketplace with our ideas we're in mm. the contest for making truth public and there are genuine areas of disagreement and genuine places where we think those areas of disagreement produce harm. So it's possible that my approach to politics would leave us not winning a bunch of political wars. We might win if we elected Trump or we might win if we did a bunch of things that I'm saying we shouldn't do. We might mm. win if we endorse One Nation with our how to vote cards or we do whatever else I named in that, that piece. But where do we contend for truth? Because it's not just about you and I at this point. It's about the people watching and listening who are is, being influenced. And some part of this is a contending together for truth. Hmm. And so what my piece failed to do was humanise and fairly represent you guys in tone. But I think it was well sourced enough that nothing I said was 
not substantiated. The the joke at church and because state was an interesting because we're of, talking about your piece. Yeah. Um, let me let me say how I, I just think it should be done. Yeah. Um, one, I would never publicly publish criticism of another Christian who's doing it wrong. Um, I just to me that's pointing sideways through through the trenches. Yeah. What I want to be focused on is the enemy pulling down every vain idea that raises itself in opposition to the knowledge of Christ, or to put it more practically, really goes after my neighbours. Those like those people, there's really important enemies to focus on. But if I'm genuinely concerned about the way the guy beside me is fighting, first thing I do is remember he's fighting beside me. And then I go to him privately through relationship. And if no relationship exists, I seek relationship. If he rejects that, I'm going to try and maybe talk to somebody who is in relationship with him. And at the end of the day, there's more harm by a public attack possible than productivity. So I would just leave it alone, leave it to the master to figure out yeah, and focus on the enemy. Yeah, and I think you've genuinely done that with me and I've appreciated that. Um, I wonder what you would have done if neither John nor I had agreed to a face-to-face though. Like what would you have done with what was said about you? Um, um, I, I probably would have left it at an initial Facebook post where I go, here's a link and this is yeah. not based in reality and it's poor and lazy journalism. And and that would I wouldn't have written an yeah. article or done an episode because on my, it. My real, I certainly wouldn't have done an article or an episode on it. Yeah, so my real issue with that piece was not with you. It wasn't with the Church and State Summit. It was with the Cauldron Pool. And it was particularly with a piece that was in very veiled terms written about me a few weeks ago and with enough plausible deniability that they could say it wasn't just about me but it was a hit piece and there's no response they, to that did anybody else know it was about you the people that mattered did it was shared in our presbyterian minister's facebook group See, as here's here's the type of people bringing down our denomination and it's people who are nuanced about israel Folau and didn't like when the moderator issued a declaratory You've got to go and offend Victorians once that law's passed. And those are two I things think, I'd written about. I think if your suspicions were true, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's borne out in evidence, but if they were true, you kind of just made it worse. Oh, I I definitely you, fought you probably, fire with fire. You probably should have just linked it in your Facebook and said this is a terrible article. Yeah. But part of my wiring for war... Instead of... Yeah. yeah. So part of my wiring for war is that felt unjust, and I have a platform. I should fight that fire. And so that's part of the, the apology is going. Actually, yeah. I proclaimed peace in my words, but was going to war at the same time. And that that's a so paradox. Would you, would you now justify that? Would you do that again, or would you? Well, the peace is gone for a reason. Yeah. So I wouldn't. I I don't think I'd do it again. Though I, I'd try to find ways to say the same thing. Would it things. be fair to say you repent? Yeah, I repent of I repent That's of the tone. Time. So I repent of being a warrior while calling for peace. But I will say I do stand by some of the all of the truth claims in the peace that the culture war is a danger to our. Witness. What about the element of payback? Yeah, I repent of that. That kind of seeking 
that that wasn't the Romans 12 model of don't fight evil with evil, but respond with with goodness and love and trust yeah. God. And so, yeah, I, I repent of that. Uh, the trick is the tricky thing to navigate is just how so you don't don't yeah. feel alone yeah. and 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 like I'm some holier than thou. I've done the same thing uh, where I've taken a position and and then a uh, a father in in Christ, a father in the faith, has I don't I can't remember if he did it publicly or just privately, but he he called me out and and I repented. I'm like you know what, mea culpa, I was wrong, um, and. And uh, you're not Robinson Crusoe in, no. in that. And so the um, difficulty is how you do it well. So how you go, this is wrong and dangerous and bad for the witness of the church. How you call that out in a way that is positive, that doesn't dehumanise the other, that doesn't play the culture war. But once we figure out how to do that, in that case, we should also be able to do it with the person who's the political opponent who doesn't share our religious convictions to do the finding common ground and, and cor- gently challenging while in relationship, the things yeah. that you have issues with. I, I hear what you're saying. I, I think there's a, I, I think that has l- lower limits or higher limit, whatever. I, I think there's a different um, threshold for that with uh, the enemies of truth and justice and, and people, humanity. Um, than there is with our Christian brothers. Is that fair to that? Oh, I think there's, it? so theologically, I think there's a massive, uh, I, trying to think of a word that's not a fancy word to use, but I, I think I'm going to have to stick with the fancy word. There's an ontological difference, a difference in our nature and in our essence between someone who has the spirit dwelling in them and someone who does not. Mm. Um, and so we can't expect someone who doesn't have the spirit to behave as though they do. And there's a degree to which the fall in Genesis is a becoming like the animals instead of ruling over the animals. It's this kind of beastliness where sin now crouches at our door and waits to devour us. There's this kind of... You know, uh, sorry to distract. Yeah. We've been going for over two hours and oh, there's right. more people watching now than there were at the beginning. <laughs> well, there you go, long form. Eutychus <laughs> would be proud <laughs> and possibly asleep and dead, but I don't think either of us are poor, So No, no, that's right. It's certainly a long way away. Uh, well, let's have a look at some of the, the comments. So I think we're pretty close to wrapping it up, but then... Um, there's so much similarities here and we it seems and i hate when we fight about differences in style instead of substance i just it just seems like such a distraction well i mean when it descends into the nasty i I like fighting for truth and contending to do things better and and actually pursuing truth together um but that spirit of love is the thing that has to be over the all justin says so then nathan you actually agree with fighting apparent injustice um that was three minutes ago um tracy says i haven't read this i hope it's okay tracy nathan your concern over amazon and capitalism misses the mark millions of babies being slaughtered oh it was just an example tracy um, well i think elderly and disabled targeted by the left euthanasia concern occurring now in Australia, the dismantling of the family by Marxists and targeting the children to change their gender by LGBT. Come on, we're in a culture war. There we go. So I'd want to say that there's lots of different idols at play in the Old Testament that produce lots of different behaviours. The idols and narratives of Babylon produce a particular way of life that's about violence and dominion and, and a particular military sort of culture that takes over that part of the world and builds big buildings and is very impressive the way it you know, controls and dominates the environment. 
And you've got Moloch, who leads to child sacrifice. It's not like we're not polytheists in the modern West. We're bringing in all these different gods and, and even spiritual powers and authorities into our culture. And you can't just say, I'm just going to pick that one idol to fight that one way of seeing the world wrongly and go, that's that's the only idol I'm going to target. What we've got to do is say, my job is to be an ambassador for the kingdom of Jesus. And so the early church took in babies exposed in mm -hmm. attempts to uh, for infanticide. They took care of the dead of people who they weren't related to who would otherwise have had a pauper's funeral and gave them dignity. They Or worse. Yeah. Left on the side of the road. Yeah. They they did multiple things at once. They looked after the sick who weren't just the sick from their community but from other communities as well. They mm. That eventually led to building hospitals that would treat people who doctors wouldn't treat because it was bad for their reputation if someone died. You can walk and chew gum. You can yeah. say abortion is wrong because it destroys yeah. image bearers who no, are no, persons. And you can say climate change is a real threat, an existential threat to people and we can advocate for policies on all fronts and, and recognise the truths that come from the left about climate and about refugees yep. and about Indigenous rights, and we can listen to the right on, on issues of individual behaviour. So that, that's the kind of systemic versus individual thing that was right. That was two hours ago. No one was watching back then. Justin says, great conversation. Big of you, Nathan, to publicly repent. You have my respect, which is not easily won, Justin. There you go. Strong man. If only I could get is Lyle watching. Hi Lyle. <laughs> Hi Lyle. A difference in our hearts. Some have Christ, some don't. Congratulations to you both. It's been a great discussion, which will bring fruit for you and your audience. Uh, for those people who are not familiar with scripture, that means talking about spiritual fruit like patience and kindness, not lemons and apples. But mangoes are good. Yeah, or watermelons. I think my watermelon's good too. I've got a Pineapple growing in my oh, yeah. Not that kind of They fruit. take a long time. Um, uh, okay, Yvonne says, most recent comment this is, that's because for some denominational doctrines trump God's word. There's that word again. Just as man-made doctrines did in Yeshua's day and he rebuked leaders for that. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what she's replying to at that point. Mm, I've lost that particular point too. Um <laughs> Justin likes mangoes too. <laughs> Good man. Uh, this, comments are coming in uh, here. Svatnik says, um, I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, I don't care how rich Bezos is. Amazon is somewhere people can shop without driving around and spending hours shopping around. It's worth it for the convenience. And no, I'm not a fan of Bezos. Uh, the conversation isn't entirely about Amazon <laughs> as no. much as much as a placeholder. Yeah, but I would, I would for yeah. So uh, that convenience ultimately ends up forming us. So we live in this fast food, fast everything culture. We don't. So Amazon is just a thought experiment. Yeah, not a, not an actual war against Amazon, which which has worthy things to criticise. Yeah, so so I just want to say when we buy things that are cheaper than they should be, they're cheaper than we think they should be, someone's paying that price somewhere. And so capitalism can be great, it can liberate us, it can make us more prosperous, and it can even make the people working in sweatshops more prosperous. But that doesn't mean that it's good for people to be working in, I, in sweatshops, right? I have a like good, that's not virtuous. I have a good Catholic friend who I won't name. <laughs> um, and... And we were we were at a pub and having a face to face conversation. This wasn't Facebook. If this was Facebook, it would have been inappropriate. Yeah. But face to face, in a pub, we're having a beer, and he's telling me my 
objection to protectionism made me a traitor to Australia. Strong language. And I just laughed at him because it was a conversation being had in love. Mm. He wasn't thinking I should be taken to the gallows and executed as an actual traitor, but he was still quite strong in his choice of words and strong in his feelings. Um, and and it, it's, again, it's this room where I have to come from where he's, I have to understand where he's coming from. And, and it's a very significant policy difference. Um, but it, it's in an area of policy that's probably not black and white in scripture. Yeah. Yeah, so I think scripture is black and white about greed. Greed is idolatry. Sure. And so we can approach different policies and ask what's this what's this cultivating mm. in us? What's this cultivating in our society? And the things where c- consumerism is cultivated, that doesn't just lead to us being consumers and, and participating in that form of idolatry. It often leads to us being oppressors who consume others down the supply chain lines. And so the sweatshop example, that might raise the economic prosperity of these people who we don't see. They might be better off with a sweatshop job than without one. But wouldn't they be much better off if we paid what the thing was worth? And so that's well, they, kind they of the... They could be unemployed if we paid what well, the could thing be. was worth and, and so that's the job would come back to Australia. <laughs> well, that might fix some unemployment here. But that the, the point there is we need to be just... Pursuing virtue rather it's, than pursuing outcomes because a, things get lost in the pursuit of outcomes. It's a it's a and convenience. It's a potentially complex economics is a potentially complex rabbit trail. Very, um, but one I'm not that qualified. I can talk about theology, uh, but let's. I, I love economics and law and theology, but um, what what I I will say is that things like consumer interests and capitalism. Um, I think some of these things are actually good and even blessed, but even good blessed things taken to an extreme become a weakness and a liability or, or an idol well, to use what you've I already mean, said. One, one Timothy is everything God created is good and is to be received with thanksgiving. Romans 1 is they've replaced the truths about God with a lie because they've worshipped these created things instead mm. of the creator. So That's what I'm saying. Idolatry so is a worship of good things. It's good, but it's just taken too far. Well, yeah, and so look, I think we're probably uh, getting close to wrapping up. Do you think there's any other points we need to cover? or? Um, look, I think we could keep talking all night probably. We could, but we're um, already past what I was hoping for. I was hoping <laughs> for 90 minutes or so and we're... We're up to uh, longer, yeah, one hundred and thirty-two. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's um, let's wrap it up. Um, and uh, thank you very much all for watching. Um, if you would like to uh, read some more of Nathan's thoughts and writing, um, you can go to sainteuticus.com for those listening to the podcast. That is s t hyphen e u t y chus.com. I'll spell that one more time. Just go S- to Acts 20 verse 9. Find <laughs> it there. st-eutychus.com. Uh, and you can also look him up on Facebook. And he does not tweet very often, but he does have a Twitter account. NM underscore, underscore Campbell. Campbell. Yeah. Um, so... That's that. And uh, if you want to find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, it's at Dave Pello.
Um, so youtube.com slash Dave Pellow, facebook.com slash Dave Pellow, twitter.com slash Dave Pellow, and youtube.com slash Dave Pellow. Um, if you would like to help fight fake news, uh, the good source is a platform which is determined to be transparent about our, our biases and uh, where we're coming from. Uh, we also refuse to use euphemisms uh, that the leftist media likes to use when discussing important public issues. Um, and uh, we are <laughs> predominantly populated by people right of Stalin. Uh, so again, a little bit different from your average mainstream media outlet, not all Christian. For those people who've been watching tonight and thought this is an incredibly religious conversation, um, you're right. This is much more religious than we usually do. Uh, but that was just the topic and, and the guest. And you invited tonight. a preacher. Like, what were you expecting? Two Christians having a conversation. Um, so do tune in this uh, Thursday night um, at 7 p.m. Queensland time, 8 p.m. Uh, New South Wales and Victoria time for the show Not Q&A, where we will be having a panel with Alexandra Marshall, Professor Augusto Zimmerman, and uh, Jamie Sprite from Twitter, who is a fantastic font of knowledge on all things climate um, and uh, a very right-wing approach on that. Um, but again, we is just want to have facts, evidence, data, and knowledge, no, no prejudicial outcomes. Can I encourage viewers watching right now, uh, be comfortable with your ideas being challenged. Don't look for affirmation of your ideas. Don't listen to outlets, journals. You know, don't automatically turn off everybody that disagrees with you. Um, because I know in the past I've said some things, criticised some politicians that my fans and followers have really, really been upset about and accused me of following the ABC too much, which is just stupid. Whoever said that? Like, come on, grow a brain. You, you know I don't believe anything just because the ABC says it. And if you don't know that, hello, my name is David. It's the first thing you need to know about me is uh, the mainstream media. The Guardian needs to say it too. Uh, the Guardian what? The Guardian needs to say it as well as the ABC. Oh, yeah, and then I'll believe it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, my, my point is I was really horrified that so many people who followed me uh, were... In the accusing me of, of listening to the ABC, but in the meantime, they were only looking for an echo chamber, that they they were made incredibly uncomfortable by an idea that they didn't already agree with. Um, so let's be better than that. Let's talk to people who disagree with us and ask them why. And maybe, maybe sometimes we could be relieved of some ignorance, which would be a good thing uh, without ego invested. Um, so having said that, Thanks for watching. This has been Pello Talk. I'm Dave Pello. My guest, Nathan Campbell. Nathan, thank you so much Thanks, for Dave. your humility and honesty and um, robust debate. It's been a pleasure having you on. It has. And um, hopefully he wants more never-Trumpers in Australia. I would like a Trump in Australia, um, but we will still be friends and, uh, and have a really great debate from time to time, face-to-face, -face, if not eye-to-eye. Uh, I'm going to use that, that for good. So, yeah. so on from now on. You can you make that your next article. All right. If you'd like to support the work, head to goodsource.news and uh, there'll be a link there which you can click on. Um, we've had great advances in the studio this week. No more tripods on the floor. Uh, the lights are all hung from the ceiling. There's more work to be done there, but uh, there's so much work 
to to keep an alternate source of news and opinion coming to you um, that is not resulting from a big corporation. Uh, we want to bring more conversations like that. And so thank you to the Good Source supporters for making this possible uh, and so much else that we do which you may not, in fact, see. But that's it for this night, and uh, we will see you as soon as I can find the outro clip. Good night. It's time for us to do something. Na, 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 na.